North South Connection, we are back with another installment of GWWE Making the Case. Here I am, Ryan Gray, with my buddy Tyler Kylery. Tyler Kylery, this is our second episode. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. Just living the dream, Ryan. How are you doing? Uh, Massachusetts is treating me well. How is uh, Missouri treating you? Yeah, it's uh, it's all right. It's been raining a lot, but uh, you know, it's spring and it's all right. We're getting getting ready to get in some good weather, I think. So. Well, April April showers bring June flowers. Is that the saying? Yeah, I think it's yeah. April showers <laughs> bring May flowers, but yeah, May May flower May storms are gonna bring. I don't know. Probably just make me cut the lawn a lot. But <laughs> if there's a lot of heat, then yeah. yeah. But anyways, enough of that, Tyler. We're not cutting the grass. Maybe people are listening to this cutting the grass, and then they're like, "Wow, look at these psychos predicting what we're doing." But uh, overall, Tyler, I got some pretty good feedback from our first episode where we did Kofi Kingston versus. Tito Santana, how about you? I I really enjoyed that episode, and we, I think the the critics approved. Yeah, uh, you know, thanks to all our listeners and everybody that uh, that took the time to give us a little comment. So we enjoyed that. Of course, that was good stuff, and uh, here we are again with part one, being Shinsuke Nakamura for me versus William Regal for you. Now, Tyler, where did you have? William Regal in 2017 on your list. So I had him ranked number 63 when we did this in 2017. Really interesting. Now I had William Regal in 2017. I had him at number 85 on the back 15 of the top 100, but very warranted. I had him right in front of Dusty Rhodes at 86. In 2017. Now, in 2017, did you have Shinsuke Nakamura uh, a year and a half into his WWE career on the list? I did not. I did not. I did not either, but I actually had him 109 on my list, right in front of Finn Balor. So that's that. You know, Finn Balor coming off that year-long injury in 2016 and 17, so that probably hurt his case. But Shinsuke Nakamura... You know, we'll, we'll get into it, but maybe his NXT run carried him to a top 110, but not a top 100. But will the last five years get him into the 100 is the question, and we're going to get there. Now, where did the whole group have Shinsuke Nakamura, and where did the whole group have William Regal in 2017 before we get going, Tyler? Okay, so Shinsuke Nakamura in 2017, he finished number 158. So like you said, he was kind of just getting started, so that's it's not surprising he didn't make the cut. Now, uh, William Regal finished number 47 overall last time, so he was in the top half of the 100. So there were, were certainly some fans of his lordship. So, And I consider myself a fan, but uh, kind of in my working draft this time around, I've got him more somewhere in the 75 to 80 range. Um, so one thing about, uh, about Regal that I kind of wanted to point out is one thing that gave me the idea to to select him uh, was a comment that Aaron George made on the No Holds Barred podcast that he does with JT, uh, where they're counting down their list. And uh, Aaron had made a comment to, to the effect of Regal might be the best wrestler they've ever had, um, but also he didn't make his list. And I thought that's a, those are two strange things to say, <laughs> but they're not 
I can see how you could take that. And I kind of, because I was kind of struggling with that myself, thinking, do I, does Regal still make my list? And that's why I wanted to dive in deeper and see about this. So, so that's why we started talking and, and, uh, you know, I was talking to you about wanting to do Regal and, and then you thought that Nakamura would be a good comp and, and I agree. So, yeah. So how the sausage is made is I'll have you throw me a guy or vice versa and this time I was like, throw me a guy, just throw me a guy. And then maybe I'll make a counter with someone that we can find comparable with career wise. And then, you know, we'll stack them up and make the case for both guys. You know, someone you're higher on than someone I'm higher on. So now, first of all, William Regal being 48 is, is really high, in my opinion. That's a lot of subjective opinions instead of objective opinions. Now, that's not anyone's fault and everyone's entitled to making their list however they want but i personally try to be subjective and i feel that is way too high because he doesn't really have the necessary resume within the wwe so by saying that william regal's work is much popular and better outside of the wwe and my main reason for picking nakamura is because that is also a similar trait in my opinion nakamura has that new japan resume for fucking what 10 years leading into coming to the wwe so it's stellar it's bar none and it's way better than his wwe case would say to be but william regal being a mid carter shinsuke nakamura being pretty much a mid carter william regal being a having various tag team partners working heel working face shinsuke nakamura having various tag team partners working heel working face both holding mid card titles throughout their career Pretty much being upper mid-carders flirting with the mid-card once in a while. Nakamura a little bit more than Regal in that aspect. But William Regal, Nakamura, two super popular guys. Two guys um, probably having better resumes outside of WWE, but are closer than you would think, in my opinion. So are you ready to make the case for both guys? I am ready. All right, so... We kicked this off with 10 categories. Let me just run down these categories before we get into them. Longevity, charisma, star power, flexibility, peak moments, storylines, promo skills, character work, work rate in ring in ring ability, and then match resume, what's your match you know, what's your matches like, you know, your quality, your book of work pretty much. So, the first category we're going to have is longevity. Tyler, what is William Regal's longevity? Okay, so Regal had a very brief stint with the company in 1998 and 1999 as the man's man before getting injured, going to rehab, and then back to WCW, none of which was good at this time. Uh, But he was back with the company in 2000, remaining as an active or semi-active competitor until 2013 when he had his last match. Uh, He remained a trainer with the company until earlier this year which doesn't count for the project, but it does make sense that the company wanted to use Regal as a trainer for some reasons we'll talk about later. Um, During this time, he was a five-time hardcore champion, a four-time European champion, two-time intercontinental champion, four-time tag team champion, and the 2008 King of the Ring. Uh, During his last few years, it was a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, It's filler matches on Raw that I really didn't bother with. But he also had quite a run taking on some young up-and-comers in developmental uh, in both FCW and NXT, which adds a lot to his match catalog. I would be 
a little remiss if I didn't mention that he has kind of what I call a Swiss cheese resume and that there are a lot of holes in that time frame. So he's got really good longevity, but I acknowledge that there were times where he was just nowhere to be found uh, due to either injury or his personal demons. Uh, a lot of times he'd have injuries to a tag team partner or something. So a lot of stuff was his own doing as he readily admits. And a lot was bad luck. Most notably, he was out 16 months from February of 03 to June of 04, and that was really the time when he should have been in his prime for his WWE career at any rate. So um, I feel like that Swiss cheese, you know, the cheese of his career is delicious, Ryan, but the holes are there undeniably, so I'll, I acknowledge that. Swiss cheese guy, huh? I don't really like Swiss cheese. Like, it's like, it's got to be like fifth in the pecking order behind cheddar and American and provolone and whatever. Swiss cheese? You, do, you, do you actually put Swiss cheese on a sandwich? Uh, you know, we don't usually have it. Um, yeah, who buys that? around. Yeah. It's not my like, favorite kind of cheese, but I, I like some Swiss cheese. Huh? Ham and Swiss or whatever. All right, enough of the bullshit, Tyler. <laughs> Nakamura showed up at Dallas, WrestleMania weekend 2016. Instant rock star, instant success, had his best match first night of the company versus Sami Zayn. Uh, would go on to just be a stalwart in NXT and just be a rock star. And this is where they started touring the country on his back. So million dollar contract for NXT, say, or whatever it was, six high six figures, I would say, um, contract to get him over to the country. When they put that right to work by go by signing him and started touring NXT, which built the brand and built all that stuff that would come to fruition this nowadays or whatever. So he was a very important signing for NXT. He would be, he would go on to become the champion in the summer at Brooklyn. And then he would go back and forth with Samoa Joe becoming a two-time champion. And then later dropping that championship to Robert Roode, I think at the Royal Rumble takeover in San Antonio in 17. And then he would show up on the night after WrestleMania 33 and would debut on SmackDown and be on SmackDown ever since. He was pretty much a main eventer for his first year and a half. He had a, that Dolph Ziggler run right away, which seems like everyone does. He would go on to have a Corbin feud. And he was built up Jinder Mahal. And then the time was his at SummerSlam 2017. And they stuck with Jinder. And then so Nakamura was kind of knocked out a little bit there. But put on ice till the Royal Rumble where he had the biggest moment of his career. Uh, and probably the biggest moment of his WWE career. By winning the Royal Rumble and then having that epic promo of saying AJ Styles afterwards. And then he would go on to face AJ Styles in a good but very underwhelming WrestleMania match. And then would go on to feud with AJ until midsummer, or would have that blow off in Money in the Bank. Um, we'll go over the quality of that, but that was pretty much drawing powers at that time. You know, that was the peak of Nakamura as a main eventer. But after that, he would go on to be the Nakamura of America, being the U.S. champion. And then he would go on to be the IC champion. And then he would start various tag teams, most successfully with Rusev. And then leading to the artists with what the artists of, I don't know, whatever that fucking thing with Cesaro and Sami Zayn was called, which led into Rick Boogs and Pat McAfee with a sprinkle of King Nakamura. But he has been consistently on SmackDown for the last five years in a brand extension era, watching someone 
be on the same roster for five years is pretty cool. SmackDown becoming the A-Show, his star power was key to that. So he might not live up to the hype, but he was always counted on for depth within the WWE. First in NXT as a touring brand, and then later as an upper mid-carder to a re- realistically a mid-carder for star power on Fox, their flagship show. So overall, Nakamura has had strong longevity mainly in the mid card i would call it american cheese of longevity okay (laughs) so how many years total do you think regal had not that that matters but i'm curious if you would have added all together what would their match total be you know i didn't take a look at that you know i I bet you it's similar so with that i mean regal was active from 2000 to 2013 uh, and he missed you know 16 months consecutively so that's still i mean that's still a, a, lot. a decade but it's still he's still got a decade plus career so i mean yeah. i i think just the math you know i would lean regal from that perspective he's been at you know he's been a character on tv for well over 10 years but Nakamura has been on TV regularly pretty much every week since for the last six years. And somehow he was he like he was on he was injured with a thumb as Intercontinental Champion. And they kept it on him because of his star power and his connection with Boogs and the McAfee stuff. And they it, like he was like his star power and his presence was low key in a way kind of more important than the than the Intercontinental Champion. And, it, and that's. You know, that's kind of a knock on the Intercontinental Champion. That's really a knock on their booking. But they felt that keeping the belt on him was important enough that more was more important than getting the belt on someone else in a way. Because, what, he was Intercontinental Champion for the whole second half of 2021 and then really defended it, like, twice on TV, if that. I'm honestly probably being generous by saying twice. So... The longevity is there, and despite being injured, he's constantly on TV due to star power and charisma and, you know, depth within the roster and adding to other acts. So I honestly, I want to lean Nakamura for quality longevity because a lot of Regal's longevity, you know, is velocity or heat in the, you know, in the early 2000s. It's superstars in the later 2000s. You know, not that, uh, don't get me wrong, a lot of Nakamura's stuff is empty heartless tv but he's constantly on the main show where i felt that regal was always a b-show guy so yeah i'm I'm gonna argue against you on that just because long to me longevity is is longevity he was at he regal was often a character you know he was, he was often a gm or a commissioner or something like that so he was on tv a lot whether he was actively wrestling or not so i mean i i think that just the math is gonna gonna get him with this one and you know your your arguments about charisma and star power are certainly are certainly warranted and and those are you know categories we can talk about here but uh all right i understand that i you know i didn't account for the tea and crumpets pissing and the he was the commissioner twice so concede that one and i'll give the knock for longevity to regal but if we were to go quality longevity i go nakamura but overall longevity i'm gonna give it to regal you got me there i didn't i didn't account for the uh the commissioner role that would totally overhaul anything nakamura would do as a second rated star with all these guys that he's linked up with so the you know commissioner wise longevity check william regal 
So I'll give you I'll give you that one. All right. So the next category we have is charisma. Two very charismatic guys. Where are you at with William Regal and charisma? Yeah, uh, I've got, you know, I think Regal has great charisma. He gets a desired reaction, whether he's a mid-carder or lower-card guy doing comedy. Or in his later career, as he's this, like, avenging veteran coming out of retirement to take on and, and ultimately put over, whether he wins or loses. He, he always makes whoever he's facing look good. He's always facing these young up-and-comers. And he just, he does a lot of little things. He, yep. You know, I love how he, he waves to the crowd like he's in a parade when he's going, and he's a heel. So, and, you know, he's acting like the fans just love him, like he's he's the queen himself. And <laughs> it just makes them hate him more. You know, I, I mentioned he's had a number of those stints as, as GM or commissioner or whatever uh, authority figure they had. And, and that was in large part due to his charisma. Charisma is definitely a, a check in William Regal's favor on any list, but against Nakamura, it's going to be interesting. Um, geez, charisma. It's amazing with Nakamura. Like you said, little things with Regal. Nakamura does the littlest of littlest things, and it's so charismatic. Um, from the entrance, fantastic entrance. All time, my wife goes to these shows, and she could give two fucking shits about wrestling, but she always wants to see the Finn Balor, and she always wants to see the Nakamura entrance, and she'll record them regardless <laughs> you know she'll never watch them but her her phone will be out for, if it's for a you know a facebook live or a facebook story or whatever they're called or just the firm memory or whatever nakamura eludes that out of the casualist of why are you dragging me to this wrestling show fan he is that is definitely a tick for him that entrance with the charisma is like his golden ticket on this list um, the McAfee and the Boog stuff is stem from Nakamura. They enhance it. They may shine in it at times, but it all stems from Nakamura and his charisma. He's a great seller. He may, he emotes so much emotion in his selling of a like in a submission hold. He is just he shines with charisma in those in his selling. It, it, don't get me wrong. It's it's goofy at times. So and a lot of his stuff is goofy. It's it's, it's noticeable and it sticks out. His mannerisms, his fingers, his gyrations, his arms flailing, his hair, just everything. His mannerisms are through the roof, and all that stems from charisma. And then even even as a heel, he's super effective within that charisma. He gets that little pouty face, and he's sinister. He's that foreign heel to an 11, really. So even when he went turned into a heel... And they took away his entrance. They even made that heel entrance memorable and usefulness and just awesome. So charisma, I, I, if we can go 10 on it, I, I'd go at least nine. <laughs> you know what I mean? With Nakamura and his charisma. And this is a guy that doesn't even speak English or speaks English and gets a pass with it. Yeah, totally agree. He just kind of exudes that charisma. And it's in such an odd way, I guess. Like yeah, That's actually a pretty good it. way of putting it. <laughs> Yeah, all his mannerisms and everything are—it's—it's it's just like, well, there's something about this guy, and I—I I don't know why he's acting the way he is, but I kind of get it. Like, yeah, you, you can't look away. The entrance you mentioned is, you know, incredible, uh, and it adds a ton to his character, his persona. So, yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said. So, uh, I would say, and you kind of let us in with this, that charisma is a positive for both. Guys, but, you know, I would concede Nakamura would have Regal beat in this case. 
So if we were like, if we want to go as a floor for a, a, a like a nine on charisma for Nakamura, I would go for like a floor at like seven and a half, eight for Regal. So it's very close. It's just Nakamura is just going to edge him out in my opinion. Yep. All right. The next category we got here is star power. Where are you a star power, William Regal? Yeah, uh, he's a career mid Carter, uh, often in the secondary title picture or the tag scene. Uh, but it was usually just kind of mismatched tag partners or placeholder for the IC title. He was someone you could always put a secondary title on, and it was always believable. But there was rarely a storyline or if you do accompany any of his reigns. Um, later in his career, he had an excellent series with Christian over the IC ti- or the ECW title. Uh, but at that point, I would call the ECW title more of a secondary title, kind of on the same lines of the IC and US title. Yeah. Yep. I, honestly, star power is his gimmick <laughs> for Nakamura. He is a rock star. You know, that's that's kind of his gimmick. Um, it's kind of it's it's really hard. It's I don't I can't really knock it. Um, casual fans look at him and they are he is super memorable he's just a star in their eyes and that's with a lackluster i don't want to even say lackluster the bar is set so high for him coming in and the bar is always set so high for him and you figured that he would not be as over because you could consider his resume disappointing his star power keeps him over like in his star power kicked off nxt traveling I went to a house show in Lowell where Finn Balor actually dropped the belt to Samoa Joe and Nakamura was the opening act and he had the biggest pop on that show. And that's with a NXT house show title defense where Samoa Joe fucking won in a shocking victory that we're like, when do you ever see a house show victory? You know what I mean? And Nakamura still in the opening act against against fucking Elias, who was who, Elias Simpson at the time, or the Drifter or whatever, this nobody, and Nakamura, star power, biggest pop of the night with a historical title reign. On a card full of stars, they really went traveling and sold out on his back. So the dude's a rock star, no pun intended. I think his star power is much higher than William Regal's. Yeah, no argument there. Charisma and star power are his highest attributes. They may be his highest attributes within the 10 categories we're going to talk about, honestly. So if if he was to make your list, you would have to weigh those heavily, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. And this is uh, this discussion that we're having and some of the research I did regarding it is going to go a long way in me making my decision. Because I, I was debating, well, I did not have him on my initial draft. And I'm part of me is kicking myself because now I'm going to have to reconsider to some level, but uh, so that'll depend on you're on the hot seat, Ryan, as to how good a case you make here. So. Well, you got seven months, buddy. So it's no, no rush, no rush. That's All true. right. F- flexibility, Tyler. How are you at with William Regal and flexibility? His lordship shows great versatility. I think <laughs> he, he could play a comedy character getting embarrassed and he just had these great facial expressions or he could get serious like he did in the feuds with Cesaro and Oh no, and really garner that sympathy. So he spent most of his time as a heel, but that late career run really showed that he could play a veteran babyface. And he had several stints as the commissioner or the GM, as I had mentioned, and he was always good in those roles as well. Uh, tag team, he had several tag team runs and single success, you know, at that IC title level. Uh, 
then challenging for the ECW title, which was was really good stuff. So so I think that Regal showed a great deal of flexibility. Um, similar to Nakamura, Nakamura is a definitely a better babyface than a heel, and they are both really good tag guys. Nakamura is a great tag guy. He's a really hot tag with the built-in charisma and star power we just went over and I gushed about. So he is automatically a great hot tag within a, in a tag team. And that's kind of his lane, in my opinion, in the WWE, is a really good tag wrestler. He's a good mid-carder. He can be an upper mid-carder mid with no time. So as recently, he's been flirting with Roman Reigns, and he might get a TV match with Roman. And you figured he would always get like a B-level a B pay-per-view match with no but he did face him at the, you know, tribute to the troops last year in a, you know, a seven minute, two and three quarter stars fine match. It was it was fine. He has enough star power. He has enough flexibility to work to work with a Roman Reigns similar to a Cesaro did last year and have no problems. But depending how good it, you know, who knows how good it's going to be. But overall, I think he's an awesome tag wrestler. He's an awesome mid card wrestler and he can flirt with the upper mid card. You know, as a main eventer, he didn't really have that success in 2017, and you could consider his AJ Styles run up to, on top a disappointment. But then again, he won the Royal Rumble in one of the greatest Royal Rumbles of all time, and he was over AF. You know what AF means, Tyler? To the I kids do. Like, I he do. was over AF in this PG era on that night. So he's flexible, but... Overall, he's the best babyface in a tag team. Is his ceiling? I might give it to Regal in a t in a tight niche, that, but that's me. What about you, Tyler? Yeah, I I have would have Regal in this one. Um, I think that the fact that he some of the things that he can do, um, just playing a character lets him be more versatile. You know, I think that some of those things let him be more you know, on the heel and babyface side, just a little bit better. So, yeah, honestly, re at the end of the day, we'll, we'll get into character work soon. But at the end of the day, Regal's character work is stronger than Nakamura's charisma within flexibility and more important to a roster. So I, I would give the edge to Regal. The next one we got is peak moments, Tyler. Where are you with peak moments with William Regal? OK, so. This is his Achilles heel and the damning mark in his case. So if you are looking for what are major moments, big WrestleMania memories, anything that stands out in WWE history, they just simply aren't there for his lordship, which is a shame. So when Aaron says on Noel's Bard, he may be the best wrestler they've ever had. And I'm sure he just means skill set wise. Uh, it, but he may not have enough to make my list. This this is why. Um, it's. Yeah. I'll go ahead and list a few moments, but most of these are comedy spots or things. You may remember them when I say them, um, but there's really nothing terribly historically significant. So he was the first member of the Vince McMahon Kiss My Ass Club. <laughs> uh, Jericho peed in his tea. Regal pissed on the Big Show's leg in a skit. So we're off to a really great start here. So he was the 2008 King of the Ring, but even that was promptly derailed due to a wellness violation. When he won the tag titles with Tajiri, that was in Japan. So that was kind of a huge pop and, and kind of a, a moment. Uh, and he, he did have a lot of fun interactions as a commissioner of WWF. Uh, then And then the, the alliance when he was uh, with Tajiri. Is his houseboy or whatever the role? I, I don't know that you could say that now, but I'm quite sure they did in 2001. So 
Um, and he had he was tied up and beaten in a hotel room by Triple H as part of the Eugene storyline. And then he does cut a memorable promo that I'll talk about later. Um, and he lost to Christian in eight seconds at SummerSlam 09. And those are kind of the significant moments, and most of them kind of draw a laugh. So. Yeah, but that's quality within a card. It's it, I love the WWE because it's a variety show, and that that's added variety to it. You know what I mean? So that you're, however you want to weigh that, that's on you. You know what I mean? But I everything you said, I, I giggled and I remembered it. So even if it's low card stuff, it's still memorable. But anyways, peak moments for Shinsuke. Obviously his debut in Dallas, unbelievable debut, all time debut, watermark level for Shinsuke. That fantastic, you know what I mean? Then that would lead to the Rumble, winning the Rumble in 2018. All-time Rumble, great pay-per-view, Ronda debut, the women, all yada, 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 in Philly, super hot crowd, star-studded Royal Rumble. You know, Ray returns, Cena, Roman, Finn, you know, a glutton of guys that are just, that that could have won that. And then they went Nakamura after a disappointing, what, eight months, really? He flirted with Shinsuke, uh, he flirted with Jinder at SummerSlam. Didn't didn't that was his moment fell down the card was in the mid card stuff and then just kind of won it out of nowhere kind of a memorable we'll go over promos later but a memorable moment where he Shinsuke calls out AJ Styles right after the Royal Rumble for a big pop other memorable moments uh, countless entrances of just violins and the big WrestleMania 34 entrance with uh, Nikki I think her name Nikki Strauss. I was there live, fucking, it was awesome. It peaked, too bad it peaked there, but, you know, peak moments, It's you, you can't really pick out entrances, but, like, you kind of have to with Shinsuke. I talked about it there. If you peak moments, it's a lot of people's peak moments, even if you're a casual fan, is that entrance. So I, I really just wanted to mention the entrance. Um, Not much after that, just filler mid-card TV tag stuff tv title tag stuff ic us whatever kind of meaningless empty title reigns but good tag bet you know good tag stuff with rusev good tag stuff with cesaro really good tag stuff with boogs uh king nakamura for a few months before uh they wanted to have another king of the ring and he turns his crown in or whatever <laughs> a pretty decent six years for nakamura you know and then obviously the mcafee stuff mcafee is the hottest act they've had on the commentary table in a while and just a lot of that comes from shinsuke nakamura's star power and charisma i'll get over yeah, i'm not gonna go over that all again but pat mcafee is so memorable on smackdown with a lot of help from shinsuke so that's kind of some of Shinsuke's peak moments, but really the, 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 the watermarks being that rumble win and that debut in Dallas. Yeah, for sure. The, those two stand out. Um, both are tremendously significant. Yes. Uh, the, the debut just because of who he, who he is uh, and who he was at, at the time, you know, huge international star. Um, and this will come into play more in the matches, but you know, they, they tore the house down. So, and, and that was enough of a that was a great enough match to kind of stand alone as its own jump up moment, I think. Um, and the the Rumble win certainly significant, uh, and, and it's always significant if you are a Rumble winner. But that moment in time is one that I remember clearly thinking it seemed like a moment of great hope 
for yes. us fans, especially those of us that are a little jaded with the current product. And I think it was, um, so if it was a 2018 Rebel, it would have been just after we finished this GWWE yeah. project the first time. So I was a little more engaged in that. I think I was still writing the, you know, million word reviews at the time. And so, you know, so I watched it and not, but there, there was this, uh, kind of this joy from the fan base that they were doing something with people we were interested and engaged with. And they, they played into that well with, um, cause I just watched this for this podcast, the final six, if I remember right, were Finn, Nakamura, Reigns, Cena, Orton, and Ray. Okay. So they, they faced off as three of the old school and three of the new school. And then, yeah. Very big, yeah. memorable moment, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but and then they did it again, and they kind of flipped it, where Reigns and Cena squared off against Finn and Nakamura, yeah. and so that was just like guys that have been pushed forever. Yeah, you have the WWE guys versus the Japan guys. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was a memorable Rumble. So yeah, for sure those, and I and I mean, I would say just the fact that he did have a. World title match, uh, and I don't know, it's probably the W. I don't know what it's called, but it's a world title level, whichever one it was, you know, against AJ at WrestleMania. That's that's significant. So. That's significant too, with an all-time entrance, which is crazy to mention, but true. But um, yeah, I'm I'm going peak moments Nakamura. I don't think it's close. Oh yeah, yeah, it's not. All right, so the next one we're gonna have is storylines. Where are you with storylines and William Regal? Yeah, so. So here's where Regal is in there a lot. He becomes commissioner in 2001, and then he turns heel by flipping to the Alliance during the invasion. Uh, he's also paired with Tajiri here for some good comedy stuff. Um, he feuded with Jericho during 2001, including their match at WrestleMania X7. And then since he joined the Alliance at Survivor Series, Regal had to kiss Vince's ass to save his job in what sadly may be his most memorable moment. <laughs> From there, he, he joined the Un-Americans in 2002, so he was involved in that angle. Uh, and when they broke up, Regal formed a tag team with Lance Storm, winning two tag titles, feuding with Booker T and Goldust and the Deadly Boys. Um, and then that's when he missed a year with a heart parasite and concussions from early 2003 to 2004. Uh, so that's some pretty serious shit going on there with his health. Um, and I do think that Storm team really had some potential, and I think we were robbed of what could have been some good stuff there because of the timing of that yeah, uh, that absence. Uh, but upon his return, he's paired with Eugene in an angle that was hot for a time, but it couldn't possibly end well. But I, I think Regal did great work, and I'm not sure anybody else gets that over as well as Regal. I think he was just the perfect guy Absolutely. to do that. He's you know, initially not wanting to be involved, and he's, he's stooging during his training. And then he grows to like Eugene. It would eventually, eventually they win tag team gold, but kind of in the middle. Regal and Eugene are feuding with Evolution. They attacked Regal in his hotel to gain an advantage against Eugene. Um, but Regal defended Eugene's honor. He cut a, he, he cut a great promo. Uh, he teamed with Benoit to defeat Flair and Batista as kind of the blow-off, so... That was kind of another missed opportunity because it looked like Regal was headed down toward a, a feud with Triple H, but they kind of pivoted, and I'm not sure why. I think it was just to get the title off Orton when they turned him babyface, and, you know, kind of a dumb move to begin with. But, um, 
he eventually teams up with Tajiri after Eugene got injured and they had that tag title win that was memorable because it was in Japan, but it was kind of a forgettable run. Uh, and then he, he later teamed with Paul, Paul Burchill, who was not yet a pirate, but would become one and feud with Regal, resulting in his lordship having to dress like a buxom winch. <laughs> uh, 2006 is kind of when I feel like Regal kind of starts to, to turn the narrative around a little bit. Um, He's a member of King Booker's court, but then later he would team with Dave Taylor as the Blue Blue Bloods, uh, which had a lot of promise and had some good matches involving London and Kendrick, uh, most notably that the infamous four-way ladder match at Armageddon, where Julian Mercury's face just explodes, right? So yeah, um, and I really liked that team with Taylor, but it was it was short-lived and. Uh, they had really good matches with London and Kendrick, but those were that was the only team they really had good matches with. Um, and I think London and Kendrick are just like an all-time fantastic team in the WWE. So, and that's not really a knock against Regal and Taylor for me to say that that was the only team they had good matches with because Deuce and Domino were like the other options, and that just nobody was nobody was pulling that. So, hmm. um, Regal was a GM in 2007. He'd go on to win the 2008 King of the Ring in a one-night tournament on Raw. And he was the first wrestler to make CM Punk submit, or at least according to the commentary he was. So, But that glory was short-lived. He lost a loser-gets-fired match to Mr. Kennedy because of the wellness violation. So this this could have been a big push for Regal. So I'm bummed in that way. But I am glad he got the chance for everything from this point on because it adds to his case greatly. And you know, I could see an alternate universe where he gets just flat out gets fired here because they're done with him and his shenanigans. And then we're having a very different conversation on this case because uh, it's about this point where Regal finds his way to ECW in 2009. He forms the uh, the Ruthless Roundtable with Vladimir Kozlov and Ezekiel Jackson. And it's about this point where his work is really kind of starting to ramp up, in my opinion. So he had a stellar feud with Christian resulting in some very good matches for the ECW title and kind of starts his late career renaissance. Uh, he's really low, um, kind of flying under the radar, which lets him, you know, have some more time and, and really have some good matches. Um, in 2011, Regal was acting as the color commentator for FCW. And he started a feud with Dean Ambrose, uh, resulting in a very good match. And then another one in 2012 and, I generally prefer the second one, but I had them both ranked about the same. Uh, and then he, he would repeat that pattern of kind of getting goaded into a match with an up-and-comer in NXT, uh, where he had a feud with his former protege, Cassius Ono, so uh, and Chris Hero, anywhere but WWE. Um, and those he was really knocking the promos out of the park, promoting these matches, and it was a tremendous match as well. And then Regal would later defend NXT announcer Byron Saxton uh, from Cesaro's bullying, which led to a fantastic promo and a great match. It would be Regal's last match, and and it could be argued that it was his greatest match in WWE. I would say easily one of his top two singles matches. So I think that's a little bit of a, you know, when I look at these cases that we're making, I think Regal and Nakamura are pretty similar sometimes. They're almost like a, a negative of a picture, like, you know, what's black is white and, you know, what's white is black here. And that Regal's last 
arguably his best match in the company was his last match, Nakamura's, and I would say probably inarguably was his first match. So <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a better match too. I'll, I'll concede that later. But but those were the uh, the storylines that I had for Regal. So I'll let you run through Nak now. All right, so Nak- like I said, Nakamura debuts at the Dallas Takeover in the peak that you just mentioned, the peak of his WWE run, all-time moment. He would go on to feud with Austin Aries before he would go on to feud for, with Samoa Joe for the title and win the title at NXT title at NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 2016. I believe that's an, the, the second Brooklyn TakeOver. Uh, he would go on to win a with which was a all time match in my opinion. You know, not an all time match, but you know, four and a half, four and a quarter stars. That's probably his best outside Sami Zayn. The the Brooklyn Samoa Joe was probably his best NXT match. Aries match was very good too, and then the rematch in Toronto against Joe was also very good. Um, he would go on to face at the next two takeovers Bobby Roode. And I believe he would lose both of those against Bobby Roode. I, I, I unfortunately weren't, was not able to rewatch those, so I'm not able to give it an accurate grade. But I think they're fine. You know, they're they're good to very good. So that's his NXT run. That's his NXT run for a year. And he really honestly did not disappoint within NXT. You know, he was able to save his body. He wasn't on the road a lot. He they I think they traveled for a week, a year, a month, once a month. So. You know, he's living domestically. He's I doubt he's training. He's doing whatever he wants to do at PC. So his body's fresh. You can go out there and still have those bangers. And he did. So his NXT run is super strong. Is kind of why he was 140-ish after just a year and a half within the WWE in 2017. Kind of based off this NXT run. Uh, he would go on to debut on SmackDown after WrestleMania 33, confronting The Miz in that actually pretty memorable moment where The Miz and Maurice were doing some Nikki Bella and John Cena mockery. That WrestleMania crowd was still there. They erupted when when Nakamura came out. He got the grand SmackDown entrance during Miz TV. And then Miz would go on to be drafted to Raw, and they never paid it off. But anyways, that's a super, super memorable moment right there for Mr. Nakamura. Was his day again another memorable debut on Raw? I, you know, I would go back and watch that. Just I didn't mention it for his star power and his charisma, but awesome entrance there. Then he would go on to compete in the Money in the Bank ladder match, being unsuccessful. He would have a mini feud with Baron Corbin, and then he would have a feud with Jinder Mahal, where it was uh, it was uh, blah Jinder stinks, but whatever. I'm not here to hinder Jinder. He would then go on to win the Royal Rumble, which we talked about in a peak moment. And this is where he kind of catches a gear. He goes on a six-month run. Is This is the peak of his WWE run. It's His AJ Styles run would be disappointing, but is it the expectations versus the reality? The reality was it was good, in my opinion, but the expectation was it's it wasn't all Japan. It wasn't NXT. It wasn't this all-time feud. So I am going to say it wasn't an all-time feud. Absolutely, it wasn't. But overall, it was pretty good, peaking at the end, which you know you hope most feuds would, in a last-man-standing match for the WWE title at the Money in the Bank. In 31 minutes and two seconds, I have it at four stars. I have it the fourth-best match of that week and the fourth-best match of that month of June at four stars money in the bank last man standing against AJ. Um, here's just his AJ run. I have on my sheet, uh, three and a half stars, a backlash in a no, in a draw, no contest 
And then I have the SmackDown match at three and a quarter stars. This is the only time Nakamura won against AJ. But overall, this is where Nakamura turns turns heel. And a memorable moment, Nakamura became really good at knocking balls. (laughs) So (laughs) that was a character trait we did not expect, but... You know, it, it played into his heel run. He would be, get a new entrance, and he was yeah, I would say he was pretty over. But then after that, he really didn't do much. He he feuded with Rusev, which was pretty good, and then it, which that and he had a really actually had a really good three way tag match with our truth, believe it or not, where our truth would go on to win the U.S. title. So that's kind of a a wild one actually, but um pretty cool. You know, our truth is a historical longevity guy and for him to win the u.s title in a three-way match with uh nakamura in the midst of a nakamura and rusev feud is kind of cool but anyways that would lead to nakamura and rusev co- uh, forming a really cool team i thought you know they didn't really have a name or anything but i dug that team they were really good in that wrestlemania 35 match for the smackdown tag team titles with bar the usos ricochet and alistair black so that was a really under the radar good 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 SmackDown tag team match at WrestleMania 35. It was like fourth on the card in uh, in a five-hour show. He had two meaningless U.S. and IC title runs, unfortunately. I'm not here to hype him up. The U.S. one was okay. He had some good matches with Rusev and Jeff Hardy. But overall, they're considered disappointing in my eyes. Go on to form the Artist Collective, led by Sami Zayn with Cesaro. And then he would go on to have a pretty good tag team in a six-month around a six-month run with Cesaro. They had a pretty good run as tag team. They won the SmackDown Tag Team's titles. They had good matches with the New Day, the uh, the Forgotten Sons, uh, Miz and Morrison's teams like that. They uh, He would go on to become King Nakamura and win the IC t- Championship again and s- starting a friendship with the ever-charismatic Rick Boogs. Now, if I told you Rick Boogs and Shinsuke Nakamura were going to be a pairing, you'd be like... That's super weird, but they are super charismatic, and it's such a good pairing. They would go on to, you know, recently have Toyota truck commercials <laughs> and Mike Hard Lemonade commercials, and would open WrestleMania in a Mike Hard Lemonade commercial. So that's pretty cool. And unfortunately, Boogs blew his knee out, and Nakamura has just kind of been floating around, flirting with Roman Reigns, and he should have a. I think he'll have a TV feud in a match coming up soon. But that's kind of what Nakamura's been doing. He's a mid-card guy for life, pretty much. But he, he it's quality. It's good filler. And he's never not on TV. And he's always on the A-show. So that's what Nakamura's been up to the last six years. So where are you with storylines? What do you prefer? Do you prefer the comedy stuff? The, you know... With Nakamura, do you prefer the the solid mid-card stuff with Pete's in the upper mid-card slash main event scene with Nakamura? What do, you, what do you prefer? So if I were to take these two looking at storylines, I, w- I would go with Regal for a couple reasons. One, I think he is able to sink his teeth into um, to something, you know, to make a feud. And part of the reason is a category we'll talk about here soon is you know he, he's a really good promo yep. um and you know nakamura english is not his first language uh he makes up for it in charisma but uh, and secondarily i just think storylines used to be better i mean i I, yep. I think during this time it's not that nakamura doesn't have good storylines it's almost nobody has good storylines um it's well they're floating and now they've got the u.s title or the ic title and they have that for a while and now they 
got the tag team title. And certainly Regal did that as well. He had more than his share of meaningless random title, you know, mid-card title wins and tag titles. But a few things that he could kind of, like I said, sink his teeth into. And while the Eugene character wasn't, you know, wasn't ultimately going to end well, it always had a shelf life and an expiration date. They they made a lot out of it, you know, for for part of that time. And so I think there he just has a couple examples of things like that. So that's yeah. my opinion on it. So you made a good point of the eras pretty much where storylines just just were better. And there's no debating that. I agree. Um, so pretty much Regal worked well within storylines and Nakamura works well within moments and star power and charisma. So I'm going to agree with you and give a, a check mark to Regal on the storylines. Promo skills. You've been hinting at it all night. Where, <laughs> where are you? Give us some of Regal's promo skills, because in this category, Nakamura is going to be short. <laughs> yeah. So I think he's a tremendous promo and. Strangely, for someone who's a heel for most of his career, the ones I want to call out are mostly babyface promos. Um, he really has a way of connecting with emotion, channels some of his regret that I'm I'm sure is very real, and makes him very relatable. Uh, he was also always good with the comedy nonsense and the high class snobbery too. Uh, but I think some of these that you know that I'm going to mention really show that he had some more depth when he was given the opportunity. So. Against Triple H, when Regal was tagging with Eugene, uh, Eugene had just cost Triple H the title the week before when Evolution was triple teaming Benoit in an Iron Man match. And uh, Regal said, Regal comes out and confronts a grunting and screaming Triple H. And he says, Regal says that he let Eugene into the building last week, but he isn't here now because he won't lead that lamb to slaughter. Uh, Regal mentioned that he and Triple H used to be a tag team in WCW. And Regal was a mentor to Triple H. And he says that they were the same villains. And he would have applauded Triple H for taking advantage of anyone but that poor, disadvantaged boy. So if Triple H wants a fight, he's got one, Sunshine. And <laughs> I just, you know, I, I made note that that was quite the contrast from Triple H's grunting promo. You know, it looked like it could have been the start of something for Regal. But it turns out that, nope, it was just kind of forgotten. Quick DQ win in less than a minute, something like that. So. And then building to the Ono match, uh, Regal cuts just a great promo saying that he's been happy with his role. You know, he's not really an active competitor. He's been happy with that role, but that inside Regal's head is not a good place. And now Ono has unlocked it and must pay the consequences. And he says, I pray my children will forgive me for what I will do to you. <laughs> so that's just a great line. So and. He had a fantastic promo before the Cesaro match. He's reminiscing about his career. He's expressing regret. He takes accountability. He puts over Cesaro, saying he's a better wrestler than Regal ever was, and says he will compete with every ounce of bile venom that he has. So He just has a way with words and that is just really good. Um, even in you know some of his heel promos and his character work, when he's the commissioner with Tajiri, great interaction with Stone Cold and Vince. The, the phrasing that he has, he, you know, saying things like, you know, pillocks and trollops. And at one point, uh, he was talking to Eric Bischoff. I think that was his return when he got assigned to be Eugene. He said, and he said in his British accent, so it sounds very prim and proper, that he said, more ups and downs 
than a whore's drawers. But it sounded <laughs> very like you didn't even. I had to stop and rewind. Like what? So I just search on YouTube for Regal and Tajiri or Regal and Eugene, and you'll just kind of go down a rabbit hole. So excellent, excellent. All right, promo skills for Nakamura. Not very memorable ones as. You know, English is not his native language. A few being, after winning the 2018 Royal Rumble, he's in the ring with, I believe, Renee Young. And then the crowd is going absolutely ballistic. And she randomly says, Nakamura, who do you want to face at WrestleMania? And he just says, AJ Styles. And the fucking place goes to 11 when they were already at fucking 11. (laughs) <laughs> because he just won the Royal Rumble and no one thought he really was going to do it and they were, they were finally going to go with him. That's a memorable promo and it was two words. <laughs> the next memorable promo being the night after WrestleMania 34 or the SmackDown after WrestleMania 34 and he was in the back and they were like, hey, uh, Nakashinsuke, why did you hit, pretty much, why did you hit AJ Styles in the balls and why, you know, why did you turn heel? They didn't say that, but they were, you know, alluding to, you know, why did you change your, your actions? You know, why did you change your motives? And then he says, me speak no English. (laughs) I fucking died when I saw that. And I thought, I was like, oh, wow, I'm into this fucking heel shit, man. That this, that's awesome. Me speak no English. It's just a sinister fucking line. He delivered it perfect. And it was just awesome. Uh, And then the boog stuff. It's it's not really promos. It's more just mannerisms and it's more just an entrance and it's more just eluding star power. But jeez, man, that that shit's over as hell. Over enough to open WrestleMania on a fucking 18 match card or whatever it was. And you know the pro- and then promo like I mentioned earlier, the Toyota pro- promo and the uh, the Mike Hard Lemonade video package promo. You know, there's a little. Is it a promo? Kind of, <laughs> you know, it's a promo package. It's a commercial. So I, I guess. So I don't know. The, the promo isn't a strong street. Regal's going to win this, but I don't think it's as bad as you would anticipate. But I'm definitely giving a check to William Regal here. Yeah. I, I mean, he's going to win this one. But yeah, no, no I will say I, I do want to point out that for the categories we're doing, it's going to be an easy win for Regal. And it's not a strength for Nakamura. However, uh, for the NJPW, the, the P does stand for promos, but it is promos slash character work. And that's in part due to someone who's not a native English speaker not being at just a severe disadvantage. And Nakamura might be the poster boy for that because, yeah, you know, it's, it's not his promos, but he can make up for that with character work and the charisma and all the things that you've been talking a lot about, you know, yeah. rightly highlighting. So speaking of highlighting character work, uh, what do you got for William Regal and character work? As that we is down? the next one. Look at that transition. We're a couple professionals here. So <laughs> uh, so this could be one of Regal's biggest strengths, I think. His character, that was largely the blue blood snob for most of his WWE run, and he does a great job with that. Uh, he has arguably the best facial reactions of anyone in wrestling history. Uh, he sells humiliation and indignation like no one. Uh, think of the Jericho T spot uh, was really good in the Eugene storyline. His debut, uh, the debut was great when he came back and was assigned 
the Eugene, he was assigned to be Eugene's mentor. Uh, he's referring back to the Kiss My Ass Club, and he later calls Uncle Eric a vile swine, which I enjoyed. So <laughs> he, he might have been uh, a little bit cursed because it's kind of the kiss of death that if you show the WWE writers and, and Vince McMahon that you can do comedy, then you're going to get to do comedy. All, I mean, <laughs> I think it was uh, – Ambrose that said that when he left said, man, if you show that you can do it a little bit, that may be all you get to work with. So, uh, but I think he does a good job playing a character. Uh, so pretty much his character is he is a foreign rock star. He, and they don't veer from it. When he was a heel and he was a baby, it was the same thing. He's this foreign rock star. He emotes charisma. He has so much star power. And that's really his lane. So they, they kind of have the, both these guys. William, like he's a blue blood, like, a, you know, in Shinsuke, he's a rock star. So they don't really change it up because it fucking works. You know what I mean? So I would actually kind of go similar on this. I don't I don't want to go with the old equal sign. I just think that R- William's character work is much stronger and a little I don't want to say much stronger. I think he is stronger within the, within the formula that he's given he has a little more flexibility so that's what he has more flexibility within this character but nakamura's character is like i've been talking about this whole time star power flexible charisma all that stuff a lot of yada 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 i'm gonna go regal but nakamura is kind of close in a way too but i think regal is the, the one of the reason regal's on this list is because of his fucking character work in his promo so that's why I'm going William Regal. And that's with – and honestly, on that's without a real withstained push, too. And his character work stands out that much, too. So that's also low-key a reason why he is so good at it, too. And it should be an attribute for him on this list. But William Regal's character work, check for me. All right, so we got two more categories here. We got work rate, match resume. Let's, go, let's start with work rate, his in-wing wrestling ability. William Regal, where is he at? So I'm fairly confident that Lord William Regal would make my list of greatest wrestlers of all time, all promotions. Um, he's just so incredibly good at so many things. He's one of the very best technical mat wrestlers, holds, counters, stretching your opponent. Uh, he makes everything look real and an earned struggle. Um, and he also exchanges vicious strikes. I mean, that European uppercut, man. Yep. Uh, and then when he gets in there with hard hitters, like, Benoit and Finley and Cesaro. It's just a glorious battle. So, um, And I, I think if you look at the great matches in Regal's career, they feature either exchanging holds and counters. So my example of that is his match with Arn Anderson in Super Brawl 4, which I want to make it quite clear that does not count for this project. Um, I, it counted you know, two years ago when I was doing matches and for WCW matches, and then that made it. But, but that's an example of what I mean by those counter holds uh, or his other great matches are just where he and an opponent just beat the piss out of each other with stiff <laughs> shots. Uh, and so the opponents he's working with pre 2006, I don't think really fit that mold. Um, but later he works with Benoit and Finley and Cesaro and you see it. So prior to that, he, he had some high profile feuds with like a Jericho and an RVD, but that's just, I mean, those are some some styles clashes there, I think. So, uh, I think Regal's a good seller. I think he makes his opponent's offense look good. Um, the great facial expressions, you know, definitely are for character work, but they also come into play here as well. You know, they allow him to convey pain, to 
convey arrogance, like he's taking an opponent lightly and surprised when they get the offense in. So that allows him to tell a, a great story. And when he's given the opportunity in, in some of these late career matches, I keep mentioning against Cesaro, Ono, and Ambrose, he, he really has that narrative going. Um, I think Regal has the ability to do something interesting in every match he's in, even when he's not given the opportunity or a major feud or enough time to build a great match. However, I do have to admit that I find his stuff in WWE – Prior to that 2006 time frame, uh, or I find his stuff from 2006 on so much better than anything before 2006. So while I feel like he had the ability to make things special. He didn't always get that done um, prior to 2006. You know, I watched a lot of that 2004 and 2005 random tag eras, and I just think he looks kind of maybe not pedestrian, but he he's not doing some of the things I'm looking for out of Regal that he that he does differently. I think he's just kind of another wrestler during that time period. And I was looking for a little, I was hoping to discover a little bit more, and I didn't really find that much from that time period. Um, and you know he he didn't have as much opportunities for higher profile matches. Much of that is his own fault, which he readily admits. Um, but you know, for someone who is so, so damn good at his craft, it doesn't equate to as many good to great matches as you'd like to see. Uh, and the ones that we do get, which I'll talk about in just a minute, um, I would say are, are kind of low leverage hidden gems. Yeah. You kind of sums it up, summed it up perfectly when you said good at his craft, in my opinion, he is, he's just awesome. Uh, Nakamura is not bad either. Now, both you could say both these guys are better with outside of the WWE system, work rate wise. You know, they're a little, they can get a little more. Nakamura, granted, he was you know a lot younger within what he would work outside of the WWE, and honestly, he's in it for the long haul, so it's kind of, eh. <laughs> you know, he kind of takes a back seat for to ramp it up. But when asked upon ramping it up. He's not had an issue ramping it up, but overall, as a whole, he is much better outside of the WWE work rate wise. And he kind of has a reputation of taking a back seat and taking it safe. And at the end of the day, that's kind of why he's a better tag guy. But anyways, uh, the king of strong style is kind of the king of soft style in the WWE. Um, <laughs> um, uh the good vibration stuff he does kind of bothers me like kind of like when William Regal used to do the finger stuff and Pete Dunn does the finger stuff. Now that stuff kind of takes me out of the mood kind of takes me out. Like, yeah, guys, I know it's fake, but all right. You know, like we don't have to like, I don't want to say business exposing cause I don't have the right to, but like the good vibration stuff is kind of like all Andrade's, top rope stomp where the guy's hanging on the rope for fucking 55 seconds it seems like until he jumps on it that stuff kind of just bothers me but the good vibration stuff always bothered me but Nakamura has an awesome finisher I love the Kinshasa a lot of his early match stuff is kind of goofy where Regal's early match stuff is so tight and good Regal you can settle into a William Regal match it's really early and really good and just like the bar is set with Regal. Like he's he he's crisp and he's he's 
like ready to go from the bell. Nakamura is kind of lazy. It kind of like his stuff takes a while to find a groove, and that's kind of a knock. Oh, kind of hits and miss, but overall he's better without the WWE, and I would give the notch to Regal, but I it's kind of close. Nakamura, I think Nakamura is going to win resume-wise, but maybe not. So that's going to be subjective too, but this is definitely a subjective thing, but objectively, I think it's William Regal. Yeah, I would have Regal, and he's just, uh, he just kind of hits my my comfort food, what I'm looking for a little, um, little more hits my spot um, than Nakamura, but I think Nakamura is a good worker. So, um, and like you, you alluded to both guys being better outside of the WWE. I mean, there's a long, long history of that from, you know, going back to Ted DiBiase and guys like that. And, and there are some legitimate reasons why I think they go on the road just way more than any other company. And, yeah. and, you know, I it's a different to take anything away from Nakamura or anyone else for kind of taking some time off and not putting your body at more risk. You gotta, you gotta be able to make the towns. Right. So, yeah, you know, I, I get it to some degree. It's it's frustrating for us as fans, and if we're tuning in once a month, we want to see them going balls out. But you know, if it were me, I, I would understand if you're on the road 20 days a month or whatever it is. Yeah, I get it. So. It's it's whatever, but it's there. Here we go. If we were to do out of 10, I would say Regal work rate rise is in the eights, and Nakamura is probably in the sevens. You know what I mean? Yeah. But anyways, here we are with our final destination, match resume. I feel like we're going to have a little battle here. Now, give me some – first of all, give me Regal's resume. Give me some of his high points. And if you have star ratings, throw them at me, buddy. So the first one I have is Cesaro versus Regal in NXT uh, from 12-25-13. So that one I had at four and a quarter. Um I'm going to have to try – I might have to look up some of these. Um, the next one I had was Chris Benoit versus Regal at No Mercy 06, and I had that one at four and a quarter as well. Um, and I think those are his two best matches. They're both um, pretty under the radar. I mean, and, and a lot – you'll see that a lot. Uh, I had his match with Cassius Ono on NXT TV from 4, 10, 13. I had that one at four stars, and I had a match against Daniel Bryan from Superstars. The date on that is 11-10-11 at four stars. Uh, And that's the four-star matches I had. Um, I had his two matches against Dean Ambrose, uh, one in FCW from 11-16-11, and the other from FCW at 7 15 2012. I had both of those at 3.75, I believe. And then I had a pair of his matches against Christian for the ECW title at Breaking Point was one of them. Um, That one. Well, I think these were mostly still in that like three and three quarter, maybe, you know, between three and a half and four stars there. Um, I believe I had his match against Finley at Great American Bash at three and a half stars. Um, so one thing I didn't 
mention. I, I think probably the best match he was in was probably that Armageddon 06 four-way tag team yeah. ladder match. So he was one out of eight. And, I mean... He was like know, a I, fish out of water in that one, too, with some of the yeah. guys in it. But He totally yeah. was. And so he, he and Taylor were the least of that. And that's not really meant as a knock to them. It's just, no, like but they said, had it. fish out of water. Yeah. Um, and... I had two other matches I just wanted to throw out there. These are not at a level. These are not all-time great matches, but I thought he and Taylor had a really good match with London and Kendrick. I mean, they had a lot of good matches with them. So I had the SmackDown match from January 12th of 07 as one, and then a Regal versus Paul London match from November 17th, 06. And I think that was more three or three and a quarter. Uh, But I do think that's just, you know, that's a pretty – good TV match, and especially at that time. And I just thought that they could bring that. And that, that period of SmackDown, I thought those teams kind of kind of could bring something to it. So. Yeah, let me hit re- what I have for Regal on my list right here. Um, disappointing edge stuff, two and a quarter at the Rumble. Nothing really. And then I would have the Armageddon match with him and Lance Storm and the, with versus the Dudleys and Booker T at three and a quarter. Nothing really stands out in 02, 03. I have the Velocity match, a 10-minute three-and-a-half star match from Velocity of 2006. I think that's May or June. And then actually, I went three-and-a-quarter on the on the uh, No Mercy Benoit match at 11 minutes in the second-best match of October uh, 2006. And then I have actually that four-way ladder match at four-and-a-half. So, so those are some of the yeah. regal matches that I have, and I actually have that London match at two and a half. I don't, I might be a little low on that, but anyways, here's here's what I got for Nakamura stuff. I got the Rumble at four and a half. He wins it, and he's one of thirty guys, so it's not on the list. But him down the stretch was incredible. The elimination of Roman Reigns was fantastic, and then the elimination to John Cena was super super out of nowhere in a way where it was just like, there's no way he's going to eliminate John Cena. And then, wow, he eliminated John Cena. He was very Jericho-esque where he kind of laid around. I believe he he lasted 46 minutes and I want to say he came in at number 14 or number eight. So it's that's, that's not really close, but either one of those numbers stick in my head. I want to say he came in at number eight ish and he, uh, he lasted 45 minutes. So that's pretty, significant even though he's one out of 50 but he won it it's super memorable and it's a peak uh i have the aj last man standing at four stars i have the Sami Zayn dallas match at four and three quarters i have the brooklyn match with joe at four and a quarter i have the what's after brooklyn the toronto Toronto, thank you the toronto match at four and then i have the rude matches at like three and a half i didn't watch them but I, i think i had them at three and a half and then i have the finn match on tv from July at three and three quarters, and it's it, it's fantastic. The TV format hurts it a little bit. It's a little slow too, but it's it's really good down the stretch. And then I have Aries at three and three quarters too, and are at, at the in between. And then some of his noticeable matches, like Rusev three and a quarter at Fast Lane right before WrestleMania. The the few AJ Styles matches on TV and at Backlash. A three and a quarter against Jeff Hardy for the United States Championship on SmackDown. Uh, a three and a half versus Rusev for the United States Championship on a SmackDown in 2018. Apollo Crews, three and a quarter. Nakamura with King Corbin versus Reigns and Bryan, three and a quarter on a SmackDown. 
Uh, just so a bunch of random tag stuff he's in. Uh, AJ versus Nakamura for the Intercontinental Tournament title, three and a half, in the, in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. Jey Uso, three and a quarter at the, at the beginning of 2021. And then Money in the Bank last year, he was a part of that match, that, had, that big E one, I had four and a quarter. And he was probably the least, <laughs> you know, I'd call that equal to Regal and Taylor. He was probably the least <laughs> dynamic in that one. So overall, decent resume. A little more high-end stuff from the, from um, Shinsuke that I would outweigh than Regal. Um, Regal's a little more depth on the very good, I would say. Uh, Nakamura's probably a lot safer for accessibly being in a much more work era based that he's in now. You know, the work era, the work base is the work rate is much stronger now compared to Regal's day where Regal Regal's bangers would kind of come out of nowhere, as as you alluded to on C shows where he kind of got like that velocity match or even that Benoit match on the, the no mercy pay-per-view. He kind that was kind of a gift. They kind of threw that together that day. So they had him go out there and just have a banger. You had four and a quarter. I had three and three quarters. So we're close, but a little far apart on that one. I'm going to go Nakamura. But if you're going Regal, I'm not really mad at you on it. Where are you? Yeah, so um, I think that – and in my head when I was kind of making this comparison, I thought that it was going to be exactly like you said. Uh, Nakamura is going to have the top end. Uh, I mean, unquestionably, his match with Zane was All the time. best. You know, uh, And uh, I would kind of came into this thinking that – whether or not where you were going to land on Nakamura was going to be tied really, really strongly to your thoughts on that match. Meaning if you think it's, because I've heard several people go full five stars and consider it just an all timer. Uh, And I'm, I think I went four and a half, but it was a really pretty high four and a half. So it made right around my middle, the middle of my uh, greatest GWWE match list. Um, So that, that outpaces, you know, even when I go a couple four and a quarters for Regal, it, that outpaces those pretty pretty easily. Those were not four and a quarters that I considered for that list of 100. Um, so, I, you know, I thought he was pretty easily ahead on that. Uh, and just doing a little bit of research prior to this pod, um, I thought his NXT run was really a little stronger than I remembered. So I had a lot of those um, – the Joe matches right around in that four star range and the, the yeah. rude one, I think I had three and three quarters, which was higher than I expected a Bobby Roode match to be like. So, yeah, I just didn't I was go back and watch him. I didn't have time. <laughs> yeah. And I, I did watch the uh, his WrestleMania match against Styles and it's I thought it was quarter. good. It's three and yeah. four. Yeah. Well, I, I think I went three and a half and I, I it really felt like it should have been more. The thing that killed it for me was the crowd was dead. And, and yeah. you mentioned you were there, Ryan. I don't know. Was it just because the show was just so damn long? It's um, the It was the fourth hour of a six-hour yeah. show. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Because and it just, you got up for the entrances. You got up for both entrance, and then they had that they, – they literally had the old school settle, settle them down to bring them up, and it was hard for them to bring them up. Yeah. But, but – Overall, I compare it to the Edge match this year. It was a pretty good match. I had it three and a quarter. You had it three and a half. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, no, I think it was. And I think, like you said, they peaked at the last man standing one. And I I think that was a four-star match. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's uh, now, I do think, and this is not related to the work rate. Um, in fact, I'll just go ahead and, and I will say that I think that uh, Nakamura wins this one largely because he just he had the best match and it wasn't close. And then he, he had enough supplementary things that yeah. I think they're all, I think Regal's best stuff, Nakamura gets pretty close to it with some of that stuff with AJ or with Joe. Um, yeah. But I, I do. Just as an overall thought on Nakamura, I feel like that Styles feud is kind of where that was kind of the beginning of the end um, because it felt like it should have been more. And it, it's not that they didn't have good matches. It's just they didn't pull the trigger with Nakamura. They turned him heel in the process. Um, and it just it felt like a real missed opportunity. And one thing that I, you know, I, maybe I'm pretty critical in general of modern day WWE, but one thing that they used to be able to do that they just can't do anymore is to keep someone doing something and keep them hot or even warm. If they're not like right in the middle of a title picture, once, once you don't win the title, they don't have a damn clue <laughs> what they're going to do with you. And, and I think he suffered from that as so many others have, but it just seemed like then he kind of went into the, the blender of all the, you know, mid card this that and the other and uh you know I, I just i thought that he's got his debut he's hot he's, there's nxt run and then you know kind of dips but they bring him back from the rumble through that last man standing match and then uh, you know post that i just don't know how much he's added to his case he's i think he's marginally added to his case from the last time around with uh Rumble win in the AJ feud. Um, uh, he added, he's added depth to the card. Yeah. He's added star power to the card, and he's really honed in on his charisma. So if you want to kind of, if you factor those, if you go true and JPW, and if you factor those elements within the system, then he's going to make your list. Or he has a chance. It's not, he's not going to make your list. He's going to have a chance to make your list. Be, do with the, and then if you weigh the NXT uh, work in, with the modern day work, and it's and, and then a lot of this is subjective with people too. So if you're a super big fan of Nakamura, I can easily see him being in the 80s, 90s on your list. I haven't done my list yet, like always. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I neglect stuff, so I'm not going to do it to the end. And I think Regal might sneak in the bottom five, bottom ten. We'll see. He might get pushed out, but I can see Nakamura sneaking in the top ten for me. Or the bottom, excuse me, the bottom ten for me. <laughs> yeah, I've done such a good job selling myself that he's now top ten. Move over, you know, Triple H. Or, oh, yeah, move over John Cena, Hulk Hogan, Nakamura's season. But, um... Yeah, I think all right. So just real quick, longevity, regal, charisma, Nakamura, star power, Nakamura, flexibility, regal, peak moments, Nakamura, storylines, regal, promo skills, regal, character work, regal, work rate, regal, match resume, Nakamura. So it's six to four that we agreed on. Uh, longevity was close. Um, work rate was kind of close, but I agree it's regal. Flexibility, mm, kind of close, really. Really low on the peak moments for regal. Really low on the promo skills for Nakamura. Other than that, kind of close throughout the uh, throughout the board with these guys. 
Yeah. Um, Regal, I've got him somewhere between 75 and 80 on my my draft now. Um, I think there's chances of other people moving up either as I evaluate their case a little more. Um, and, well, and, you know, there are however many current guys have a chance of just surpassing him too. So, um, you know, somebody goes out and has a, a banger of a match that was on the fringe, they can easily get above somebody that's in 75 to 80 range. Uh, you did a really good job selling Nakamura and his uh, his star power and charisma, and that that was kind of an angle that I need to give a little more consideration to him on that. Uh, like I said, I kind of went in thinking it's really tied pretty strongly to the Sami Zayn match, and well, I still think that is one of his top, like that's one of the biggest feathers in his cap for this. Uh, Watching some of those other matches did show that he does have a little bit of depth. Um, I think some of the some of the character stuff with the you know Boogs and and McAfee and all that. I I think he tends to get into a lot of goofiness that sometimes you know I can take or leave and and maybe sometimes not seeing that on a week to week basis. I, mean, I don't know if that helps or hurts that, but yeah, I'm often wondering like what what's he doing here? And I sometimes think that in the matches you mentioned the good vibrations and the Whatever you know, where he puts his head against him and swings his arms down. I'm just yeah, it's I you know give or take that. That's kind of right. But anyway, um, but certainly I he's he's definitely on that list of you know between 80 and 110 or 120 that some of them are gonna make it and some of them aren't and just uh, just have to see. Uh, Yeah, after talking to you, I'm leaning that I might have to try to make room for Nakamura, but I have not figured out exactly how I'm going to make that room. So. Yeah. All right. Well, hey man, I'd love to hear more feedback on this. Do you guys have Nakamura in your top 100? Do you have William Regal still in your top 100? If William Regal's in your top 50, I'd love to have a conversation and find out why. You know what I mean? So overall, it's subjective versus objective and wherever you fall in between with that, with these guys, and, you, and no one's wrong because – it's your fucking list. And it at the end of the day, our lists come together and if they made it or if they didn't. So we'll hopefully we'll see if Nakamura made yours and we'll see if William Regal made yours. But Tyler, I'll see you on part two, buddy. This was a blast. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Hey, North South Connection, we are back with part two of making the list. This time we are bringing you Jamie Noble, led by I, versus... Adrian Neville, led by Tyler Kelly. Tyler, are you ready for part two, or are you sick of me yet? I am ready, and I uh, would never get sick of you, Ryan. So. <laughs> well, thanks, buddy. Um, now, just a quick little background here. We, everyone's familiar with the ten categories, so we're not gonna we'll name them off as we go. But we decided to do a quick part two with this. We, you know, we wanted to accelerate it a little bit and we just wanted to give a little love to guys that are outside the top 100, but you never know. Like these guys rate pretty high in specific, you know, NJPW system categories. So you, you never know if you were to someone to make a case for either of these guys, I don't think you're calling them crazy, but I don't suspect them to be on either list as in, 
both of their career, WWE careers have been pretty much over for the most part, or pretty much since 2017 when we last encountered the list. In 2017, Jamie Noble was 185 and Neville was 157. Just for a little context before we, you know, we dive into it. Uh, anything you want to add to these guys, or pretty much did I hit the the sentiment of where we are with part two of this podcast? I, I think you hit it, Ryan. And as you said, their career. Uh, neither one has been active since we lasted this list, so uh, I can't see that they would have added much to their their ranking, and other guys probably have, so I'd be surprised if they make the overall list, but I do think they're fun to talk about, and sometimes it's it's fun to talk about some of the, the fringe guys. Two guys in separate in separate eras, um, and I'm actually defending an, an older guy, and you're defending a newer guy, so that's fun, and similar cruiserweight style in two different cruiserweight eras within the WWE. So that's also pretty fun too. And total two differently total cruiserweights, one being heavy in ring and the other one being heavy in character, but both being decent in other categories also. So Tyler, are you ready to jump into this, buddy? Let's do it. All right. Longevity. What do you got for Adrian Neville longevity? So Neville arrived in NXT in 2012 and stayed with the company until 2017, so a solid five-year run. Uh, He stayed in NXT until March of 2015, winning the inaugural tag team titles and the NXT title. He was on the main roster for more than three years, winning the Cruiserweight title twice. Uh, So he finishes his WWE career as a two-time NXT tag team champion, an NXT champion, a two-time WWE Cruiserweight Champion, and a Slammy Award winner for the Breakout Star of 2015. That's it? That's it. All right, Neville. Get the fuck out of here. All right, Jamie Noble. Pretty much signed within the WWE-WCW merger. Did not debut on WWE TV until mid-June, where he won the Cruiserweight Championship the next month. And he pretty much was the king of the Cruiserweights for the first year and a half. The division was pretty much built around him and his sidekick, Nidia, which we'll get into much later. And and the majority of the reason why I wanted to talk about Jamie Noble. But pretty much dabbles within the Cruiserweight division in the up low, pretty much upper to the main event scene of the Cruiserweight division, if that's such a thing. Winning the Cruiserweight title multiple times, bringing in characters such as none, I guess his cousin or whatever. And then Nidia was his girlfriend at the time. But pretty much he has a trailer park cuckold gimmick and it man is it super memorable in electric um he actually leaves the wwe at the latter end of 2004 for alleged steroids use and is gone for about part of two years returns in late december 20 2005 and he is the king of velocity by the way in his early run and he just jumps right back in being the king of velocity uh he has a pretty good 2006 as he Forms a tag team with Kid Cash, and they're like this the modern day pit bulls, you know, kind of a little throwback in a way. And then he te- he's still in the mid card, he's still in the cruiserweights until the cruiserweight title goes away. And then he finds himself as a jobber, pretty much to the s- he's pretty much a jobber slash gatekeeper for the rest of his time within the WWE until he retires and is a road agent afterwards and he retires around the tail end of 2009 where he had the pretty memorable feud with 
Sheamus really establishing Sheamus as a you know a, a killer heel, and then he had a pretty decent feud with Chuck Palumbo around Michelle McCool. So he is a very flexible character you can use within and out up and down the roster. And then of course I don't want to leave out his late run as J and J Security, where J- him and Joey Mercury flanked Seth Rollins for a better part of two years within Authority, and were really just Seth Rollins heaters and added to that early early Seth Rollins heel act a lot, I think. And had some occasional matches too within handicap matches or tag matches on Raw. So that's pretty much what we have for longevity for Jamie Noble. Now Tyler, going off that real quick, where would you, who would you give the check for for quality? longevity mixed with longevity hmm. oh that's kind of a tough one because i i was surprised to hear that noble stayed around as long as he did um but i certainly enjoyed you know i always like uh, like seeing noble anytime i go on the ruthlessly aggressive podcast with uh, our friend jacob williams also on the uh, north south connection feed um so I would be inclined to probably give the longevity nod to Noble. It sounds like he was, in fact, there longer. Uh, even if some of it may have been spent on velocity, I, I also you know, can't claim that Neville was tearing up the main events every week either. So uh, I think that added with the J&J security part at the end probably gives the longevity nod uh, to Jamie Noble. Yeah, I think, you know, Noble got the – and being a producer, too, I, I want to give him a little love for being a producer, too, and just, you know, adding depth throughout the roster, quality depth, too. And not that Neville didn't, but Neville burnt maybe a little brighter, is I would say, at times, and for a short amount of times. Yeah. But I, I would say I would give the nod, a slight nod, to Jamie Noble for longevity, too, I would agree so the next category we got here is charisma. Where are you got with Neville and charisma in his big ears? Yeah, so in his big ears, uh, we'll <laughs> hit that later. Um, I thought that Neville showed more in-ring charisma than I initially thought. Uh, I mean, I kind of considered him a work-rate heavy high flyer, but I think his facial expressions and the way he carries himself can really kind of convey those emotions and a sense of a conflict or an escalating issue. So it doesn't just feel like a wrestling exhibition. And I think he is better than average at that, better than just your pick random cruiserweight. So uh, he's not the rock or Hulk Hogan, but you know, there was a little more there with the charisma than I was expecting. Yeah. I believe that Neville is a excellent, excellent, excellent house show wrestler. As I, you know, I went in that era, I brought, my kids were super young. So I would bring them to all the house shows that I could. And then Neville was always the opening act, I would say. And he would always, you know, his charisma would shine within that entrance, that fun entrance where he would sprint down, engage the crowd right away. And then within, like you alluded to, in-ring charisma pretty well. I don't want to leave out his decent run as you know that heel 205 live too he showed some decent unique charisma in there too but oh yeah you know i just wanted to add to his case a little bit too because i think jamie noble is going to kill it (laughs) um and i didn't want i don't want to i don't want to knock neville's charisma too much because i think it's a little underrated too but jesus christ jamie noble and charisma even late in the later years with the j and j just the mannerisms adding to the seth rollins act like i added to a later there just the smirkiness and the scumbagness which uh, with joey mercury as they were it was just a total add to seth rollins and that's all their charisma with their stupid ties and their stupid haircuts and their shortness and their just slime ballness and jesus christ don't let the beginning stuff with nivia 
the the cuck we'll get more into this with characters so i don't want to blow my load but uh, <laughs> you know just the whole trailer park just he is just his charisma you can just throw it into video packages and you could just be in awe of how much of a strong character it is and I, i'll get into that later i don't want to be long-winded because i want to really hammer home that part of it later but i just that shit-eating grin and just really being the longevity the charisma added helped him longevity wise um through the lower mid card because you think lower mid card WWE those were they recycle those guys so much and he was a mainstay for Jesus eight years almost really so and that's due to his charisma in his in ring um skill set not his resume his in ring skill set just being a you know a total professional so I'm gonna lean back to back categories here for noble and i'm going to give a big check mark for charisma for jamie noble yeah i'm not going to argue with you on charisma that you're right uh, that's one of noble's huge advantages here and he just he exudes it um you know especially that first character run with nydia that's just so yeah, yeah. good at- <laughs> 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 all right star power where are you with neville and star power uh, so he, he was presented as a star in NXT and it worked. Yeah. Uh, when he was new to the main roster, the crowds really bought into his U.S. title open challenge with Cena. And then later the same year, uh, there was an open challenge against Rollins. Uh, and, and the crowds really bought into him. So that's likely probably more due to his in-ring storytelling than, than star power. But still, I would say that the fans were buying in. It's not made of any WrestleMania. He's not selling out the house, but fans were ready to buy into him more than I would have imagined. Um, I think he's one of the guys, and, and there are several, where the fans were always kind of willing to buy into him as a bigger star than the company was ever willing to present them as. Uh, agree. Um, you know, just like I alluded to with the last subject, you know, that just opening house show act that's so valuable. And his star power added to that. Um, Jimmy Noble wasn't really presented as a star. He was more of a background act, more of a good hand. So whatever babyface star power Neville had in the mid, you know, 10,000s or whatever you want to call them, um, I think that would surpass any star power that Jamie Noble had. Um, yeah. I, I think yeah. they both. I think they both may, you know grade low in this category really and in something like this may keep them off a list you know due to popularity and all that stuff but um i would say jamie noble star power is minimum but neville's is uh medium if i want to put it that way and i would give the nod to neville but i wouldn't give him like a big check mark but i think he is more value as a star than jamie noble yeah i would agree i think he takes category but if you're comparing into the entire body of wrestlers you're considering for the list. I don't think star power is what's going to get Neville onto the list. So. Yeah, agree. All right, the next category we got here is flexibility. Where do you have flexibility in Neville? Okay, so this is one that I do think he was he scores pretty well in. He exceeded my expectations uh, with his flexibility as a character and a worker. So uh, he was an effective face and heel, working differently for each. Um, I think that them calling him the man that gravity forgot almost painted him in, in a limiting way. Yeah. Cause it, it paints him as this high spot expert, which makes some sense. Cause he's an athletic freak. He's doing these standing shooting stars and moonsaults to the outside. And of course the red arrow looks amazing. 
but I think he's a much more complete worker than that indicates. Those kicks he throws really aggressively, they, they hit quick, they turn the tide, they look violent. He can mix it up with strikes and power moves depending on his opponent. Um, and he still has that high-flying arsenal. So, um, And his character work as the King of the Cruiser Witch was really good. We can, you know, I'll talk a little bit about that later as well. But I thought that really added some depth to the matches that might otherwise be very work rate heavy, but not have much story to them, maybe be a little dry. And uh, he really impressed me with uh, his work during that time. And he could also play the underdog babyface if that's what you needed. His work against Bo Dallas for the NXT title. And then those challenges I mentioned against Cena and Rollins, they show, you know, that underdog babyface character. Um, and he pulled off a great tweener character, really adding to that match against Sami Zayn, the all-time, the all-timer, where Neville is kind of playing a heel, but he didn't really turn heel. Uh, so it really pays off when Zayn doesn't take the shortcuts that Neville does. So, you know, for example, in their, their great match, Sammy doesn't use the title. While Neville did pull the ref out during their fatal four-way match, and he faked an injury to get a roll-up on TV. And just kind of that character work to me, this crowd even more into Zayn's win. And then uh, Neville can still, you know, do a hug of respect afterwards, and he still can go on and be a a baby face as he finishes his time in NXT and heads up to the main roster. Um, he did have an NXT tag run. Uh, with Corey Oliver Graves, Gray. was it? Well, he won the first title with Oliver Gray and then picked Bo Dallas as his partner. And then oh he did God. win again with Corey Graves. So uh, but that was pretty short. Neville played a good hot tag, but... And I, I think it's weird that uh, he didn't wasn't used more and wasn't more involved in tag teams at some point in his WWE ranks. I think he would have been really good at it. I think that's a missed opportunity. Yeah. I also think he picks his tag team partners somewhat poorly if he's choosing Bo Dallas and Corey <laughs> Gray. So you will not hear me make a case for that either of those guys anytime soon. And or Oliver Gray, who? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, flexibility for Neville, I mean, for Noble, excuse me, um, not really there. Uh, let me talk tag work real quick. I would, I would kind of call the Pitbulls a disappointing tag team run because, you know, you, they had, they just, they're thrown together and they have such a cool look Two killer workers really. And in a, in a much needed time frame within that middle 2006 SmackDown tag team run with you get the hot team of Lundry and Kendrick and then you, they're just kind of throwing mismatched teams at them and the Pitbulls didn't really click um it didn't didn't withstand they was they disbanded super quick but um so tag teams you you would look at Jamie Noble and be like wow he'd be a great tag team guy but it didn't really work out so I don't you know I don't want to give it a notch against him but it didn't really it doesn't add to it um he's a better he's his baby fee stuff late in the run was actually pretty good where he's making, trying to make Chuck Palumbo around Michelle McCool. And then he really does a great job where he reti- quote unquote retires against Sheamus. And then as a lackey late in his run, you know, that's some flexibility, but it, it's still working to his strengths with charisma. We'll still work into his strength of the character work. So there's not much flexibility there as that is his strength. Um, he works a little as a baby face, 
but overall, he's just a mid-card cruiserweight guy. So the flexibility isn't really there. And then when they try to give him a little flexibility, it works. It doesn't work. And it's kind of a little ho-hum. So I would give flexibility to Neville. But again, both kind of middling grades here. A little lower middling for Noble within the flexibility. But, you know, nothing super high flexibility-wise for Neville. But I'm still going to give him the check. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, So, we're you know, we're almost halfway there. We're 2-2. Longevity and charisma for Noble and flexibility and star power for Neville. So interesting so far. Peak moments. What do you got for Neville and peak moments? Another category we're blistering here. Yeah, I know. So um, I would say probably Neville's peak moment with the company was when he teamed with Stephen Amell, who played the Green Arrow on the TV show Arrow at SummerSlam 15. Um I can't speak too much about Amel's star power or the show's popularity, but I'd heard of it, so that's a good sign. Yep. Um, and anytime well, you're too. With, yeah, yeah, and and anytime you're working with a celebrity in a big match, I think that shows a certain level of trust the company has in you. And that was fairly soon after he came up, so yeah, I'm sure the Green Arrow and Red Arrow uh, <laughs> correlation had something to do with that. So yeah, great point. Um, I think the Sami Zayn takeover match was just an all-timer, and uh, Zayn winning was a great feel-good moment until uh, Kevin Owens stepped in a few minutes later, but we'll forget about that for now. So, <laughs> uh, and, and I don't think that that moment doesn't happen without Neville as a dance partner. And the other thing I had was winning the TV title from Bo Dallas in a ladder match at Arrival. I think that was a big moment for him, and it established him as a champ during a time where NXT was kind of rising in prominence. And and I think that's really the period where most of us kind of started to pay attention to NXT, or at least where we kind of think of as the start of when it it started taking off towards its hot period that, you know, where it became what we knew it to be before it kind of got rebooted recently. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty good peak moments. Peak moments for Jamie Noble. Um, this isn't really a peak moment, but it may make sense. Jamie Noble's peak moments, it's like a collaboration videos of him with Nydia. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if it's not the, the trailer park where you have, oh, look, at, we got running water, baby. Or, it's, you know, or it's all that jazz. Um, that's kind of where I would make a case for peak moments with Noble. Um, low key keep moment peak moment would be WrestleMania 20, where he had where he is kind of the highlight of the cruiserweight de- tournament or the cruiserweight um, invitational match where I think he has the longest runs or the most victories within it. So that's a cute peak jump moment. Um, and other than that, it's really just velocity stuff and really only I and a few <laughs> watch that bullshit. Um, no real pay-per-view moments there. Uh, Royal Rumble 08, cool moment with Chuck Palumbo, but he ultimately gets killed. Um, and then J&J stuff, cool cool peak moments there too, but nothing really off the top of my head. So, you know, I would give the nod to Neville with peak moments, you know, due to the the high-quality NXT stuff and then, you know, the, some of the celebrity stuff you mentioned too. Yeah, I think this is another one where I think Neville's going to get the nod, but I think and I, I think that the ones I mentioned would qualify as peak moments, but they're 
you know, I mentioned three. I didn't mention ten. So, you know, yeah. I don't think – I think with both these guys, we're really talking about might make the end of your list. I'm looking at, you know, it, depending on how my list shakes out, if I decide I want to use a personal pick for number 100, I'm going to think of a guy like Neville and, and Noble would be this, would have the same case, I think. Yeah. So, anyways, um, the next we're flying here, buddy. I love it. Category. Next category, storylines. What do you got for Adrian Neville and storylines? Yeah. So the first storyline that Adrian Neville was involved with in NXT uh, involved feuding with the Wyatt family over the tag titles. So Neville and Oliver Gray, and they were known as British Ambition, won the tournament to crown the first NXT tag titles. Uh, but then Gray got injured and Neville selected Bo Dallas as his partner and promptly lost the titles to the Wyatt family. Uh, Neville continued to feud with the Wyatt family, eventually winning the tag titles with new partner Corey Graves. So this is where I had my notes. He sure can pick them, huh? <laughs> so, uh, he then went on and feuded with former partner Bo Dallas over the NXT title, eventually winning in the latter match at NXT Arrival. Um, he held that title for 287 days, feuding against Tyson Kidd and Tyler Breeze, but his greatest rival was Sami Zayn, and he had a great match against all three challengers at NXT TakeOver Final Four, and then an all-timer against Sami Zayn, dropping the title at TakeOver Our Evolution. And following that NXT run, he debuted on Raw in on March 30th of 2015. I feuded with Bad News Barrett and then Bo Dallas for a bit. And then he would compete against John Cena in a U.S. title challenge in May. Uh, and then against Chris Jericho at Beast in the East. And had a title match challenge against Seth Rollins in August. Uh, he then began feuding with Stardust in a kind of a comic book inspired feud. Uh, culminated in that match that I mentioned from SummerSlam, where he teamed with actor Stephen Amell um, against Barrett and Stardust, and Neville won with the he won the match with the Red Arrow, uh, and he also won the Slammy for 2015 Breakout Star of the Year. And I think I'd mentioned that earlier as well. And then he went on in December of 2016. He was injured at some point. Um, Prior to this, he had to miss um, miss WrestleMania, and, and that kind of helped add fuel to some of his disappointment uh, that led to his next big storyline, where in December of 2016, he attacked the Cruiserweight champ, Rich Swan and TJ Perkins, turning himself heel. He would win the Cruiserweight title at the 2017 Royal Rumble from Swan. And began to run as the king of the cruiserweights, uh, the gimmick bullying his fellow cruiserweights. And uh, that went on for a while. Um, then he finally turned babyface in the fall and was beginning a feud with Enzo Amore before he left the company in October of 2017. Interesting. You know him and Enzo are like real close friends in real life. Is that, isn't that weird? No, I, I did not know that. Yeah, that's weird. But anyways, think about opposites, right? Right. Uh, that that may knock him may knock Neville down a peg or two on my list then. <laughs> so 
<laughs> may knock him up a peg or two, am I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So pretty much Noble here. Uh, he is just the linchpin of the cruiserweight division as soon as he arrives in mid-June 2022. Um, he has a bunch of, you know, fairly decent, you know, nothing groundbreaking matches. You know, he, he he arrives and he wins it against the he wins it against the Hurricane, three stars, King of the Ring. Um and then he goes on a few with Noble, Tajiri, you know, pretty good stuff here. Um Chavo a little bit on some velocity vengeance and stuff. Um and then he kinda is the placekeeper until, you know, Hardy and Mysterio decide to take over. And then he just kind of muddles around and then he's a challenger to the stars in this thing. And then he has a run late in 2004, but it always is around the cruiserweight title and it's always in the mid card. So, you know, is it an important belt? No, but he is a staple within that division. Once he returns 2005, early 2006, again, same spot, velocity cruiserweights. Boom. The Pitbull stuff with kid cash it's much needed, but it's a little disappointing. I think it peaks with a three and a quarter star match at I think No Mercy it was or the Great American excuse me the Great American Bash for the WWE Tag Team Titles against London and Kendrick. You just think it should be more. They're given the stage to have more, and it just doesn't deliver. Three and a quarter stars. Don't get me wrong, that's a good to very good match. But if he was going to make your list, you would expect more. You know they were given 14, 15 minutes, so. That's low-key disappointing. And then he kind of disappears, and then he ends up in – he's just like a job for the stars, like I said. The Sheamus stuff is good. The Chuck Palumbo stuff is decent. But other than that, nothing. And then he surf- resurfaces late with Jamie Noble. I mean with Joey Mercury for J&J Security. We've gone over that. But that's pretty much his ebb and the flows. Total mid-card stuff with pretty good peaks of not important stuff but a little bit memorable. And it, it's he's just overall a solid, fun character. But I don't know. This one's close for me, honestly. I kind of want to give it to Neville because of the NXT stuff. But if you value the character work and you value the good filler and the good TV and the memorable, like the is the, if the video, video packages are memorable for you, then the storyline key, like the storyline around Nidia is just super key for you to make this case. I don't know. What, 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 what about you, Tyler? Yeah, um, so I was thinking of it kind of, I, I think this aligns with what you're saying, that I think Neville has more storylines. Noble kind of has that one that weaves through being he and Nydia and then their relationship and, and all that entails and all that that branches out to. Um, so I do think they're close. I, I also like how this was a, Rarity, and this maybe is a rare thing where I'll say WWE did a pretty good job booking a relatively minor character, and the the cruiserweight division at that point was very intertwined in that. Um, So if I'm remembering correctly, Nydia brought in Noble to face the Hurricane as she she was showing up as a jilted lover or something along those lines. So that brought in Noble and then Noble eventually brought in Nunzio as his cousin yeah. or whatever. So, so they were kind of expanding. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if I, if I had to uh, pick one, I would probably go Neville, but if we called it a draw, I'm, I'm okay with that. And I, I do think that uh, 
you know, Noble did a good job with the storylines he was given. Yeah, I think uh, I'm go- I'm happy going with the with the equal sign here or, you know, listener's discretion uh, sure. just because, you know, the character like this is spilling into st- like his character work and stuff is spilling more into the storylines opposed to, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to st- I'm stealing from other core categories to make a case for this category. But right. it's just kind of how you would value that within the storylines is kind of my case here. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally content going equal sign here. All right, so we're three, two, equal sign with the lead with Neville. But I've got a feeling because I got a feeling it's going to equal up soon here because promos are next. What's up in Neville and promos? Yeah, so um, I do think he added some juice to the Zane feud with some of his promos, saying that Zane couldn't win the big one and things like that. Uh, he did a good job not completely turning heel, uh, but still playing the heel in that feud. Um, I listened to a few of the promos from the King of the Cruiser Weights run, and, and he did okay. His accent's a bit of a challenge, but for that particular storyline, he kind of leaned into that a little bit, saying he wasn't accepted in America because he sounded funny and he looked funny, and I guess that's the reference to his ears, which, honestly, he's lucky that Vince didn't make him an elf or some shit. So if, that, if he'd have what? ever seen Lord of the Rings, he'd been dead. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I thought he had a there was a bit of a tendency towards the, the typical overscripted WWE promos at that time and Neville delivered them a little little forced, a little he kinda heavily emphasized well, I did this and I did that and it just didn't sound supernatural. So I think a lot of guys struggle with those scripted promos. So I don't think he was awful, but I don't think it's a great strength either. So I I don't believe he got a lot of time on the mic and i'm sure his accent didn't help so i'd say promo skills you know aren't a huge strength for Neville. no it, it, you wouldn't think so but like you said it's kind of good but all we here's the thing i want to say with neville his promos are never leading they're assisting where noble he can lead a promo within the well, let's go let's get be real here. it's these these two categories are never are, aren't really like fantastic promos these guys really aren't fantastic promos, but I would trust Jamie Noble to lead a program, pro, like a promo within a program, and I think Neville would be a good addition to one, if that makes any sense. So that's kind of why I think I would give the nod to Noble in promo work, because neither of these guys are going to go out and, like, hand on the fucking mic and cut a 15-minute promo. Neither of them are doing that. But if they were going to go out and have a backstage segment, I think that's more conducive to Noble. And Noble would be more entertaining, and he could leave a a program where Neville would be in addition. So that's why I want to give the nod to Noble on this promo skill category. What about you? Oh, for sure. I I would have easily taken Noble over Neville on this one. So I I think that Promos are a pretty good strength of Jamie Noble's. Now that bleeds in a little bit to the next. That's category, what I was going to but it's, it's I don't super hard to separate it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I would think Noble's more of a character than a promo. But before we get into that, what about Neville in, in uh, character work? Yeah, so I, I mentioned earlier that this was a bit of a pleasant surprise for me. So I thought he did a really good job playing a bully heel. Uh, that run as the king of the cruiserweights, I thought that was really good. And, uh, and I talked about his flexibility. He's kind of a natural underdog babyface, And 
he's really equipped to play either role, at least in the ring, because he's just built like a brick shit house, so he can dominate cruiserweights with power, and he's got that, that deadlift suit, deadlift suplex, you know, that's really impressive. Uh, and he doesn't look completely out of place going toe-to-toe with Cena Rollins, um, but his selling, his facial expressions, and his high-flying moves also make him really, you know, equipped for that underdog babyface. So uh, I guess, you know, the character work is still driven kind of by his in-ring flexibility. Which is, a, you know, a really good point, but, you know, it adds to it. But that's more, you know, it's kind of it, – I understand. But he's more of a – his strength is more wrestling. So obviously we're going to add that – we're going to sure. emphasize that within your character. So, of course. But, you know, you make a decent case. But Jamie Noble blows him out of this. Yeah, yeah, Nidia. Get that. Get that. Just unbelievable. Nidia, Jamie Noble, super memorable. And it's just the stupid – fucking character work if it's not the if it's not the trailer park where you know he gets that big that big allowance or not that big allowance the big inheritance and he just buys her a trailer park and if you haven't seen this promo where it's vignettes thrown into one package where she just they just go out and spend this money he buys her a five thousand dollar mink coat mink coat but the mink coat is hideous but it's five thousand dollars so they think that's what rich is so they have to have it you know what i mean and then it's just the whole look at this running clean water yeah yeah. and it's just like unbelievable stuff and it's just driven by jamie noble being that west virginia you know trailer park dude it's just unbelievable i can't do it any justice but just nidia kissing michael cole and jamie noble cheering him on cheering her on yeah yeah you like that cole yeah yeah get up just the whole yeah i can't like i could do this with a bunch of guys and then the the strength in the character being flexible where he brings in um nunzio and it's his cousin and they're like little badasses but they're but they're little so like they need each other but they're badasses and they're fun and they make it work but i don't know even even the fallout with the breakup with they have that intergender match of 2004 no way out and just the nidia nidia is blinded by the mist and then no and then uh Noble takes takes advantage of her, and she finally sees it. And just the reveal, it's just so stupid, but it works. They're both just so good. And just go, please, just go out of your way and watch Jamie Noble and Nidia video packages. And it's it's just incredible. And it's all well, Nidia's great, but she's green. And it's just all on the back of Jamie Noble's character. And then even they go they go back to the well with it in 2008 for that Chuck Palumbo feud. Chuck Palumbo is not a bad guy in ring. He should be a WWE superstar, but it doesn't click and it's just so close, but he's just never that good really. So I can see why they kept going to the well with him, but when they went to the well with him, they threw Jamie Noble at him to try to make him. And Michelle McCool, you know, that's a girl that they like, uh, softball player, Florida State, early in her career before they saw legs in her, but they throw with Jamie Noble just because he's a reliable dude. Sheamus, future main eventer, he's about to be thrown at John Cena a month later. Who do they throw him with? Jamie Noble, and they retire him. Uh, Seth Rollins, hot young heel. He needs a little backup. He needs a little more oomph to his character. Who do we trust? Jamie Noble. He's been a producer for fucking six years, but let's dust him off, throw him with Seth Rollins. He's just reliable, and it's all character work. And it's, it's based off charisma. It's based off a little, you know, some flexibility. It's just based off Jamie Noble being that charismatic 
glue to a lot of undercard, super fun, memorable stuff. And I would, this is his biggest check is character work. And he is a fantastic wrestler in my opinion. And just his, the longevity he has is based off his engaging character. And it's just super fun. Go down a rabbit hole. I would suggest it a hundred percent double check mark for character work here for Jamie Noble. His, his character work is his case for being on this list is on the back of his character work here. 100%. I think he is one of the, I would say, kind of one of the most memorable characters. It's kind of a mid-card character of the era where they really didn't do a whole lot of that. So, um, you know, get past your million-dollar mans, your Jake the Snakes, your Mr. Perfects, even your Gold Dust. Once you get into the 2000s-ish, um, just kind of a, you know, your your mid-card characters, Jamie Noble is one of the most enjoyable ones for me. Like I said, I always look forward to seeing him if I go on with Jake. And then one time, I he, Noble and Nidia weren't on, and I was mad. I, you know, I told Jake, you know, like, all right, that's the last time I'm doing that worth without them, so we're going to have to ch- check that first. So I wish I remembered more of the details, but a lot of the things you're talking about there are you know, they're getting out of the trailer park and they come into money and it's it's all the things you'd expect them to do. But uh, I remember one of the shows that I had on probably VHS, possibly DVD, but I think it was probably a, a VHS. Um, they were at WWE New York or I guess it was WWF New York at the time, probably. And there was someone that won some contest. And I, I, I don't remember if it was like a fake <laughs> switch, but he. Yeah, he winds up. Nydia basically gives him a lap dance and is making out with him, and, and Noble's there, like you said, cheering him on. Yeah, yeah, get it. That was, and it, but it's he's so. And awesome. it, if, if anyone's not seen this and you just hear us talking about it, you're think probably wondering what in the hell we're talking about. But it is glorious, and I love his character, and <laughs> I wanted to get him on my list last yeah. time. I just didn't make it happen. But I would not argue with anyone who does. All right, the last case for his character work. This is his character. He is a redneck cuckold trailer park trash guy, and it works for eight years. Enough said. <laughs> work rate. What are you with in-ring work rate for Adrian Neville? Go. Okay. So, and I've mentioned this before, but Neville just has so many tools to use in the ring that it's insane. He's got great power, so he can do the you know the deadlift, suplex, a set-out powerbomb. He's a great flyer, standing shooting star presses, moonsaults. Usually he kind of jumps off the, the top rope. He doesn't just do an acai moonsault, you know, off the top rope to the outside. Uh, just a variety of flipping and twisting presses, and most notably the the vicious red arrow. So, uh, And that, that one just looks incredible, both visually and it looks like it would do major damage. And for all I know, it might hurt like hell because it seems like he kind of goes crashing anywhere from the legs to the chest on the opponent so and he always sold that move like it hurt him too um the versatility and move set and skills let him have any type of match he needs so if he's facing a fellow cruiserweight he could beat them with power because he was usually bigger and stronger so it really worked for that bully heel character and, and i think that that adds to his case quite a bit uh, and if he was the underdog babyface, he could sell a beating from Cena or Rollins and bust out his aerial attack 
you know, to kind of pop the crowd. So just, you know, from power to mat work to flying, timing and match structure. I mean, Neville can just kind of do it all in the ring. And uh, I mean, I think that that shows outside of his WWE career as well, which does not count. But that's part of why I picked him is because I just really always if I find myself watching a Neville or Pack, if I am, you know, look at them on YouTube, I find myself going down a rabbit hole and just kind of like lose some time there. So and it's worth doing so. Not necessarily for this project, but if you ever want to, you know, till some time and see some great matches, that that's worth doing so as well. All right, so work right here for Jamie Noble. He is like a poor man's Daniel Bryan in a way, if that makes sense to you. Just he's a cruiserweight, but he doesn't wrestle like a cruiserweight. He wrestles like a brawler. Um, he's really a glorified job guy in a way, where he is just. He's super sympathetic with his with his selling. To go watch that Sheamus match. He's just even the Chuck Palumbo stuff. He's sympathetic, and he's just he has that baby face mid card ass kicking. Like he's he's getting squashed, but he is so credible that he's extending the squash in a credible way. If that makes sense to you, um, I, like I say, Daniel Bryan style, just to kind of paint that picture where. You know, it's it's heavy strike based. It, it's it's you know, it's running power moves and it's it's but it's a cruiserweight style and he he can he can do the low key flashy moves, but he doesn't have to. He's that ground base. He's an ass kicker, but it doesn't compare to Neville. Neville's so athletic. Um, but if the only case I would make for work rate wise here is Jamie Noble's work rate package may be more valuable within the WWE system where he can work with, you know, more guys credibly and they might do more with his, might get more longevity in ring where with Neville, they would get more, um, I don't want to say bored or they wouldn't push him as hard because of his, I don't know, it's hard to make it, but it's hard to make the case because Neville is a better in-wing worker. I don't think that's arguable, but Noble's style and Noble's skill set might be more valuable within the WWE system for longevity up and down the card is what I'm kind of saying. Uh, um, but I'm definitely but going with Neville on this one. It's going but, with Neville. I'm going with yeah. Neville too. But the grade may be closer than anticipated in a way, but I think it's Adrian Neville hands down. Yeah, so I guess I, I would go with Neville on this, but I will say that uh, Jamie Noble is a hell of a lot better wrestler than he got to show in much yes. of his WWE run. Um, and if, so if you've ever seen any of his Ring of Honor work, he was Ring of Honor world champion just between the time he was... Briefly, yeah. Yeah. But he, if I'm remembering this correctly... Uh, I believe he won the title from CM Punk and lost it to Daniel Bryan. Ryan yeah, so Daniel pretty Bryan. cool transition right there. I right. believe he was champion champion for six weeks to two months. Is my I yeah. think my memory jogs that way. That sounds right. It was it was minor. And I, right? I only bring that up is because I will say if he got to wrestle the style he got to wrestle there in the cruiserweight division for WWE at the time, you could have gotten some really good stuff because you're right. Yeah. His style is he's the base and he kind of tears you apart with moves and just mat wrestling. And if yeah. he could have gotten to do that with more time and more, more focus on that division with that character work, he's making my list easily. 
but we're never alternative react you know, reality so and where Neville was given that opportunity within the NXT structure. And really, NXT, he Neville was the face of 205 Live where he was able to go out there and have those extended matches. If 205 Live was a thing for Jamie Noble, he would be able to go out there to have those 12 to 18 minute matches each week and really have the resume. But we'll get into resume next. Yeah. And Jamie Noble's skill set was, for his era, gave him longevity and gave him decent quality matches for the WWE for his role, but it's Adrian Neville for the ability of able to go out there and deliver. But anyways, the last category we have here is match resume. What do you got for Adrian Neville and match resume? Okay. So I have, uh, against Sami Zayn at NXT takeover, our evolution. Uh, I have that at four and a half. I bumped it up from when I did the, uh, top 100 matches that made my list it made it low um but i think i may have shorted a little bit so i think that's a four and a half star match i think it's an all-time match i think it tells such a great story and that puts it over over the edge there i'm sure everybody listening to this is very familiar with it but if not you know just just think of the storytelling it reminds me of uh, well it tell, basically tells the same story as the Roddy Piper and Hart match from WrestleMania eight. Um, and I think it has, you know, sort of with the modern twist, the modern work rate as well. So I just think that's a, that's a classic. Um, I also have the fatal four way match, which was Neville, Sami Zayn, Tyler Breeze, and Tyson Kidd at NXT fatal four way. I had that one at four and a quarter. Um, I had, Neville versus Finn Balor at TakeOver Rival. I had that one at four. And then I had uh, Neville versus John Cena on Raw from 5, 11, 15 at three and three quarters. And I had Neville versus Seth Rollins from Raw on 8, 3, 15 at three and three quarters. And those were both the same um, basic story in that there was an open challenge for the U.S. title and then an open challenge for Rollins world title, whichever one it was at the time. I do get those confused. Um, but both cases, he's definitely the underdog. The crowd really buys into him. They're they're with him every step of the way. I knew there was no way in hell he was winning either of those matches, but it sure felt like he could win them in the moment. And that's something those are matches that really. Uh, they, that goes a long way with me. So, um, And then I had Neville versus Chris Jericho from Beast in the East on 7-4-15 at 3.5. And, and I had uh, one of his matches with Austin Aries and a submission match from Extreme Rules in 2017. That's when he was doing the King of the Cruiserweights match. Mm-hmm. And I had that at about 3.5, and, and I... I felt like most of the matches I watched from that time, um, if I if it was a pay-per-view match or a long you know TV match, they were usually around that three-star range. I didn't see much that made it much higher than that, but from three to three and a half was they they would pretty consistently hit it. And I I will say I was somewhat pleasantly surprised that they got more opportunities to do that than I expected. 
Yep. All right. So match resume for Jamie Noble. There's really not much to compare there. Neville is easily, <laughs> easily the winner. But here, here is what I got on my on my stuff. Three stars um, against the Hurricane at for the Cruiserweight Championship at King of the Ring. Three stars against Billy Kidman for the Cruiserweight Championship at Vengeance. Three stars against Billy Kidman on Velocity. And then we have three and a quarter stars against Tajiri at No Mercy. And then this is my personal favorite. Uh, Rebellion UK triple threat match against Tajiri and Rey Mysterio at three and a half stars. So that's kind of Noble's best match. Oof. And then after that, it's the tag match with the Pitbulls against London and Kendrick. Three and a quarter stars, Great American Batch 2006. And really, that's honestly kind of all he has. Yeah. And like I said, I don't have a grade on this, but the WrestleMania 20 Cruiserweight Open match, he was really good in that, and he added to whatever star rating that was. But other than that, that's kind of it. Billy Kidman, Survivor Series three and a quarter stars also too so he doesn't have the resume that neville has but the only tick i'll give uh, tick down for neville 205 live got better in ring when he left so i don't know if the guys were more motivated i don't know if neville in that king of the cruiserweight styles was limited in a way where he was just so like heel heavy that it limited the match but the quality for 205 live did get better when neville left so i would give the little nick down for resume and work right there on neville for that but it this is easily neville's category yeah he i mean honestly the reason that i'm the reason i wanted to dig into him further was primarily that Sami Zayn match so and it yes. built from there hands down and, that's easily the best match out of all these yeah. guys Hey, hey, Ryan, what year was that Rebellion UK? Was that in 02 or was that in 03? That was in 02, buddy. 02. Okay. Good uh, match. That that's sounds like something I want to check out. Show. That's an underrated show. you got a killer SmackDown tag match with Los, Lega- Los Guerreros and um, I want to say Benoit and Angle. And then you have a su- – this is a cool match. It's not nothing to do with this, but it's Edge – versus Lesnar and Heyman in a handicap match. It's three and three quarters to four stars. It is wicked underrated. Both guys are super young, and it's a super fun match. Underrated, underappreciated. Check that out. But anyways, um, here we go for a rundown. These are categories that we have in favor for Jamie Noble. Longevity, charisma, promo skills, and character work. That is four categories. For Neville, we have star power, flexibility, peak moments, work rate, and work resume. That's five categories. And then we have storylines, equal sign, whatever way you veer. Now, honestly, I would probably have, if it was subjectively, I'd have Noble higher. If it was objectively, I think I have to go Neville reluctantly a little higher, if that makes sense to you. Are either guys making my top 100? I highly doubt it. But it was super fun to talk about them the last half hour to 45 minutes. What about you, Tyler? Yeah, um... So I, I would say the only way either of them make it is if I wind up with a list and I've got like at, at 99, I think uh, I've got like 10 guys equal to each other and I can't choose which one goes there, then I might throw someone like Neville on it. Or I might just make that number 100 just my one personal pick, but I, it's getting really crowded as I'm you know, sit, trying to come up with a list here. 
it'd be a lot easier if it was 125 or 130. <laughs> but so I, I, I'm, I'd be surprised if either guy makes my list, but it's it's not out of the question, but it wouldn't be higher than that last spot. So. Well, when has there ever been a podcast where a guy talked for 45 minutes about Neville and Jamie Nobles in as, as depth as we just did? And I don't regret it at all. How about you, Tyler? Absolutely not. Nope. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing doing the work to be able to talk about it. So, And I had forgotten about that uh, um, about that uh, Pitbulls run that Noble had. And I agree with you that I, I regret that they didn't get a little – few more chances um because great luck man. london and kendrick really needed a, some heels to work with that were uh, were a little better than deuce and domino so. yeah i think that uh might have been a little kid cash issues there that might have yeah. kind of knocked noble a little bit but hey he found his footing but anyways guys this was really yeah. fun and tyler we should be back with more soon what what about you Are you busy or what you want to do a few more of these or what yeah i'm i'm in for a few more All right, I think that's an undisputedly great idea, Tyler. And we'll catch you on the next one, guys. Thank you very much.